0: Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
1: Hey, it's Gonzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
2: Initialize
0: sequence.
1: Welcome to The Baldcast.
2: A
3: production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
1: I'm going to tread into dangerous territory right off the top of the show today. I did it in print. Why not do it on radio? Nick Rolovich. Nick Rolovich has a lawsuit. He was suing a whole bunch of people, including Washington State Athletic Director Patrick Chun and the governor of the state of Washington, Governor Jay Inslee. But a judge who hails from the Eastern District, a federal judge, dismissed the lawsuit's on that that was against both of those two individuals yesterday this rolovich thing it's disappointing to me and i'll and i'll tell you why it's disappointing when i was a kid we used to go to stadiums and my dad would park the car on some practice field lot like we would go to san jose state games or stanford games in the bay area and we would park the car and we had the tickets and i had a nerf football and uh you know we might tailgate we weren't fancy tailgaters my parents might uh, pop some popcorn or bring some hot dogs that they made at home or sandwiches they made at home maybe some cold drinks and we'd play catch in the parking lot i don't know The political viewpoints of the car or the person or the family that was parked to the right side of our vehicle, I don't know the political viewpoints, the socioeconomic background, or the religion of the car that was parked to the left of us. In fact, when we went into the stadium, what we all did, or maybe even the stadium, what we all did was we would take... All of these viewpoints that we had in, you know, this was probably late 1970s, into the 80s and the 90s. We really didn't see this stuff in stadiums or in the sports ecosystem. And by this stuff, I mean all of our baggage. But we would take all of those viewpoints and we would pack them away. We would pack them away for a couple hours when we went to the stadium. We might uh, go through the turnstiles next to somebody who is a diehard Republican. We might have somebody on the left who was a diehard Democrat. We might have somebody whose uh, socioeconomic background was uh, far more advantageous than mine, right in front of me in line, or somebody disadvantaged behind me. I don't know if there was a Mormon to my left or a Catholic or Protestant or uh, somebody of Jewish uh, faith. I don't know who was around me because we always or usually took most of that stuff and we tack, we put it away in the trunk. We closed the trunk as we were entering the stadium. We maybe brought in a blanket if it was a night game. And we would walk into the stadium together. And we would root mostly for the same team if it was a home game. Maybe somebody was rooting for the other team, but they stuck out like a sore thumb. And we kind of we kind of viewed that person who was rooting for the other team a little differently. Like you might say, you know... If they were rooting in a way that was uh, not obnoxious, you might say, hey, you know, I could totally relate to that if I was in a visiting stadium. That's how I would behave. Look at that guy. You might give him some friendly ribbing. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't like you wanted to beat that person up inside the bathroom if they were using the urinal. And it certainly wasn't a problem if the person sitting to your right or your left or in front of you or behind you didn't share your viewpoints on things. In fact, when you were in stadiums, I think there was kind of a, you know, you don't have to, you have to suspend your disbelief when you go see a science fiction movie. Like we all are watching, you know, Top Gun Maverick, and the thing that makes that movie amazing is, you know, the special effects and, and the fact that, you know, Tom Cruise, they make a big deal over the idea that Tom Cruise was doing some of his own stunts and that, you know, those were real things that were happening, and we all go, oh, wow, that's amazing. But in a lot of other movies, especially movies of my childhood, you know, I'm watching Back to the Future in Teen Wolf, and I don't really think that Michael J. Fox is a werewolf. I'm suspending my disbelief there. I don't really believe that they're time traveling, but it's a cool concept, and I'll roll with it for a couple of hours Why Doc Brown is telling Marty that the flex capacitor needs to, uh, you know, hit uh, 1.21 gigawatts in order to uh, generate the power necessary to send him back to the future. Um, you know, you suspend your disbelief. You also suspended your actual belief system to some extent when you were in the stadium. Now if you saw nonsense you probably called it. You stood up for what you believed in. You still felt your faith or felt your viewpoints on politics at different times I'm sure, but you were sitting in a stadium with 30 or 40,000 people going, you know, it's it's improbable that we would all see things the same way. Glad we didn't bring those viewpoints into this arena because sports stadiums football stadiums baseball stadiums nba arenas were places we could go to escape from that stuff frankly i remember gas prices oh man gas was hitting like a dollar 20 a gallon oh there was a shortage we had to get gas in the night late 1970s based on your license plate i can remember being in my mom's car i think she had a Odd-numbered license plate. It went by the last digit of your license plate. If you were odd or even, you could get gas on this day or get gas on that day. You know, it was a crisis that was going on. We had hostages in Iran. We had uh, the Ayatollah burning the American flag. We had real unrest. You know, it wasn't different than maybe the world today where there's unrest and there's problems and there's economic concerns and some families uh, really struggling. But when we went to the stadium, we mostly checked that stuff, didn't we? And we said, hey, we're here to root for the same team. We're here to be part of a community. We're here to get away from whatever ails us. And it wasn't, uh, you know, Peter Jennings and World News Tonight. It wasn't Sam Donaldson. It, It wasn't Ted Koppel. It was our football teams. And we had each other. And I can't tell you if the person in front of me, back, behind me, or right or left, agreed with me on much of anything. And, in fact, I didn't expect them to. I didn't need them to. Fast forward to the 2020 decade. You have a pandemic. You've got a football coach in Nick Rolovich who uh, has some viewpoints. He's got his own viewpoints. Again, I don't expect him to agree with me. I don't need him to agree with me. I don't need to agree with him. I think, to a certain extent, we can acknowledge that uh, the head football coach at a, a major college university is a leader. And uh, a judge yesterday, the U.S. District uh, Court Judge Thomas Rice, he, he essentially said, hey, you do have a reasonable expectation to follow the rules if you are a state employee. And, in fact, he, he wrote that, uh, you know, if you are somebody who is an employee, uh, it is within that employer's right to uh, – to uh, perhaps uh, end terminate your employment if you don't follow uh, the standards that they have for the for that workplace. That's beside the point, though. Like Nick Rolovich got a choice. Like he, you know, he, his viewpoints, I he, he can have them. My viewpoints, I can have them. I don't have to agree with him. But uh, it bothers me that the athletic director at Washington State gets to be dismissed from this lawsuit. Pat Chun, who I think is a good athletic director, gets to go free unless there's an appeal. It appears that he will not be uh, subject to a lawsuit involving Nick Rolovich. The governor of the state of Washington gets to go free as well. He issued the mandate requiring that state employees be vaccinated. Nick Rolovich said he didn't want to do it. He later cited a religious belief. The judge said you waited too long to cite your religious belief. You can't, uh, you know, there's no reasonable... uh, uh, discrimination from a religious standpoint because Washington State didn't, in fact, know you were religious. Uh, that's for the courts. Again, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Where I want to focus is the idea that Washington State fans don't get to go free, not until this lawsuit is long over, not until uh, a lot of time has passed, not until Nick Rolovich is probably working off of the NFL doing whatever, coaching football, maybe he settles with them, not before Jake Dickert wins a bunch of games. See, the Washington State fans remain divided. I wrote about it today, and it bothers me. It bothers me that a community that it says as tight-knit as the Washington State fan base. And let me just go into that for just a second here. Pullman, Washington, is a small community. It's a college town. It's a lot like Eugene, Oregon. It's a lot like Corvallis uh, here in uh, Oregon as well. You have very few college, true college towns in the Pac-12 footprint. I would argue that Arizona State, Tempe, Arizona, is not really a college town. I would argue that certainly Los Angeles not a college town where UCLA and USC play. I would argue that uh, the Bay Area, Stanford, uh, Palo Alto, not a college town. Berkeley, not a college town. They're towns, they're cities, but they're not college towns. And so I think Pullman, Washington is a little different than other places. And I think if this Nick Rolovich thing had happened at Berkeley or at Stanford or at Arizona State or UCLA or USC, even, even at the University of Washington, I think it would feel a lot different. It's a community issue at Washington State. It's a small town issue. And... I'm told that it's divided the fan base. It's fractured the fan base. I had, it was interesting, I had people who agreed that Nick Rolovich had every right to not take the vaccine and people who said Nick Rolovich has no right to take the vaccine, you know, no right to uh, deny taking the vaccine, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, they agreed on one thing. They agreed that this issue has polarized the fan base. And in Pullman, Washington, that is a bigger problem than it is in Los Angeles or the Bay Area or Phoenix or Seattle. In Pullman, Washington, where the stadium holds 32,000-plus, it really is a community fracture. It's splintered a, a, a college community. This issue has splintered the community. And I keep wondering, how long until Washington State fans get to go back to the stadium and not have to hear Nick Rolovich and immediately get their backs up and defend their positions and act like they have to unpack all that baggage that i said should be put away when it comes to a sport event like sport's is supposed to be glue supposed to be the like the fabric of a community supposed to bring us together and yet here we are with a college town issue involving a major college coach in the year of 2021 who decided hey he didn't want to take the vaccine for whatever reason he determined was his reason but the fact of the matter remains that He got fired because of it. Pat Chun, his AD, had to come out and make a public statement. He was real disappointed.
3: The separation process has been initiated in accordance with the terms as specified in his contract. It is disheartening to be here today. Our football team is hurting. Our WSU community is fractured. Today will have a lasting impact on the young men on our team and the remaining coaches and staff.
1: Chun went on to explain how disappointed he was in Rolovich, yada yada yada. But the bottom line being here we are, several, you know, years later now, with another football season approaching. Jake Dickert went seven and six last year. You can tell me that winning will heal all things. A little bit of winning probably did heal some of it. You can tell me that time will help heal things. And I think you're I think you're right if you say that. I think some time will also help heal things. But I also think there needs to be a cognizant adjustment of mentality in the fan base. And it's something the rest of us, I think, need to pay attention to as we see political and religious and economic and uh, you know ideology become bigger issues in stadiums. Look what the Dodgers are going through right now. You know, they're just trying to have Pride Day. They want to be inclusive. What happens, you know, they say, okay, this group can't be part of Pride Day. Then they get destroyed publicly for it. And then they say, okay, we're going to let that group in. And then you have players on the Dodgers going, no, wait a minute. We're not comfortable with that. And the Dodgers are in this position where they're running around playing whack-a-mole with their morality going, okay, wait a minute. We're just trying to find a place that's safe to exist anymore. Like, I think the rest of us can pay attention to this stuff because – it does threaten our stadiums. It does threaten our arenas. Whether you're a Washington State fan or a Dodger fan or you know, you're know you somebody watching the NBA or the NFL, or Major League Baseball, I think, I think we need to get back to a place where we can say, hey, wait a minute, it's okay that we don't agree. It's okay that we have different viewpoints on these topics we all care so much about. We used to also have different viewpoints on topics, but we would check them as we came into the stadium because we because we accepted hey not everybody's going to think like me not everybody has my experience like i think it's ignorant to to walk around thinking well everybody needs to think the way i do you know and if you don't think the way i do then we're really at odds like I, you you talk to me long enough we're going to find something we disagree on you talk to me long enough we're going to find things we agree on too i think that one of the things that needs to happen is we need to course correct And I really do hope that the Washington State community, like, they're fractured. They're splintered. I wrote a column about it today. If you don't believe me, get into the comment section. Just go to the comment section. I knew it would happen. Okay, I wrote it knowing this would happen. And and I thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't write it. Maybe I shouldn't say, hey, you know what, maybe it would be good if we all acknowledged that, hey, we're not going to agree, but it's okay to go to the stadium and sit next to somebody you don't agree with and see them as a human being. And you know, I and even if you, even if you don't want to hear their viewpoints, don't impart your viewpoints on them. Maybe it could just be like Thanksgiving dinner. Like my dad says, "Hey, we're not going to talk about religion and politics this year. We're just going to eat turkey and be a family." Can we get back to eating turkey and being a family in the stadium? Can we do it at Dodger Stadium? Can we do it at Washington State? Can we do it at Oregon and Oregon State? Can we do it at Moda Center? Can we just get back to eating turkey and being a family for a bit? Like it's okay. That we're all passionate about the things we care about. I'm not telling you not to care. I'm glad you care. I'm also glad that you know you uh you have you talk to your family about this stuff and and you vote with a conscience when you go to the you know and there's an election or a measure in front of you vote vote as you see fit. Go to the church that you feel connected to, work the job that you want to work, read the books you want to read. Follow the accounts you want to follow on social media. But when we go into a stadium, can we please open the trunk? Can we take all these things that would make us disagree in the stadium and feel divided? And can we place them in the trunk and close it? Can we go into the stadium together? Can we just say, hey, it's okay to root together? As long as we're not seeing human rights violations and we're not seeing blatant open, uh, you know, hatred for each other. As long as we're not witnessing racism, nobody should be okay with those things. I think we can agree from a fundamental viewpoint that when it comes to uh, being a decent human being, like we should all be able to find that baseline. But beyond that, mask, not to mask, vaccine, not vaccine, private school, public school, public charter school. Do we really need to have these disagreements inside sports stadiums? I don't think we do. It disappoints me. You know, I had, you know, Washington State is in a bad position right now because, you know, NIL happens right around the time that the pand- pandemic starts to wrap up or at least uh, things start to open back up and people start to go back into stadiums. Here comes Transfer Portal and NIL Palooza. And so, what is more important than anything in a Transfer Portal era? You know, you could argue that it's uh, history of your program. You could argue that it's your head coach's profile, your brand of your school. We could have that argument, but I think NIL, your NIL collective, is as important as it's ever been. And how is Washington State, a community divided, ever going to come together? You know, with a collective and go, hey, you know, we totally disagree on Nick Rolovich. Therefore, I'm not gonna be part of the Cougar collective. I think it's hurt fundraising. I think it's hurt the program that the fan base is divided. It's a byproduct of this Nick Rolovich thing that's ugly. Like he's mad. He's obviously suing. Feels like he was wronged. You know, I let it play out in the courts. He'll get his day. You know, and and the university's frustrated with Nick Rolovich. They hired him and they feel like he they that he embarrassed them and he didn't set a good example and didn't follow the rules. That's cool. Let it play out in the courts. It will. But Nick Rolovich was relieved of his duties as head coach at Washington State. He filed a lawsuit. He he included the athletic director and the governor as part of the lawsuit. Judge yesterday threw them out, dismissed those claims. There's still some stuff pending. Nick Rolovich may get a settlement. He may win, ultimately, on some of these issues. This may drag on and on and on. But what I fear is that Washington State's fans don't get to be dismissed from this lawsuit themselves. We're headed toward another college football season that will be clouded with this division. I'm being told by people on all sides, you know, it's going to take a time and more time and more time, and it's going to take winning and winning and winning. I actually think there's something more fundamental that is essential to everybody coming back together. I think it's just the idea that we can look left and look right and look in front of us and look behind us and go, hey, we're not going to agree on everything, but we're still a community. In fact, that's what a community is. Got a great show today. We're going to be talking uh, about the Pac 12 schedule. TV games are out. Yogi Roth coming up. You got the BFT statewide. Leave it right here. Kickoff times and TV networks uh, were released today for a whole swath of games. Pac 12. uh, Early season schedule set. Week zero, lone Pac-12 game will feature USC and the reigning Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams. Home opener against San Jose State, 5 o'clock Pacific time on the Pac-12 network. There to call it will be Yogi Roth and Ted Robinson, and Yogi Roth is joining us now live via satellite. Always wanted to say that. Yogi, welcome. Via <laughs> well, satellite. And hey, I thought about
4: you. I went to the gym the other day. I didn't go to yoga class. I know you're a guy who pumps a bunch of Iron Man. Yeah. So I went for it with the did, uh, dumbbell presses. I'm super you sore bring, right now, by the way.
1: Did you bring a giant like one gallon milk jug filled with some pink liquid and walk around with it, and slosh it around no, in there? No, no,
4: not at all. I went with my wife, and uh, it's like it's this class. It's like it's basically like a cardio hit class, but two days two yeah. a week it's like weights. Yeah. So, you know, we threw some weights around. She called me out for not having heavy enough weights, and right. we enjoyed it. And, you know, got the heart rate moving a little bit. You know? Isn't it
1: interesting how yeah. your workouts change now that you are not, like, competing as an athlete or even, like, you know, when you were coaching? How different were those workouts back in the day?
4: Oh, my God. I uh, Well, I- I'll be honest. I, tr- like, I-, I think as an athlete, I'm curious if you'd agree, like, we- our bodies have this, like, circadian rhythm to it around the times of the year. Like, now is like time to get after it. Like, you're throwing down hard. Like, I am talking smack, like, with the person I'm working out next to me, whether it's my wife or not. I'm like, let's go let's do this. Kind of like we're gearing up for our own week zero game. Yeah. And, and you get inspired too with athletes. Like, I follow a lot of these guys or know a bunch of them uh, in our league, and you know, they're getting after it. Why shouldn't I get after it? So, it's definitely not with the weights because I'm like, I'm not going to slip a disc. I'm not going to pull up something. I'm not going to pop a shoulder. But the intensity in my own brain at 41, man, is, is just as strong as it was at, at 18 or 19.
1: Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks with us. Uh, Yari, yeah, right, the schedule comes out. You got the USC game in week zero, Caleb Williams. Give me an idea, like, you know, and you see that on the, on the calendar. I got to think that you and Ted are, and the crew are excited about that game in week zero.
4: Oh, yeah. What, I mean, I think the best week zero game in the country. I mean, I know Navy Notre Dame, I think is in Ireland, and that will probably be in the morning. Uh, but you look at that game uh, against the other rest of the games with the aforementioned Caleb and Lincoln Riley and, you know, what SC brings back this year, I think it's really an enticing game uh, nationally. And then you look at Brent Brennan, uh, his team will be right to play. You know, like Shevin Cordero, the transfer, he's their returning quarterback. They've gotten some good transfers. Uh, I think he's a coach that is uh, easily capable of coaching in our league or other power five leagues. I think mean, he's a rock star. Uh, I love his growth from UCLA to Oregon state to to now being, of course, the head coach and, and doing things that have never been done in the history of San Jose State football. And it's the opener, you know, and it's week zero. Like you don't get opportunities like this very often. So we are paused. We were kind of hoping and crossing our fingers to get a week zero game. I've never called a week zero game. I've always kind of been up for one and then somebody swoops in at the end. And says, ah, we want to take it. Uh, so, so this year, for whatever reason, uh, I'm glad that it, it came to us. And, you know, we'll, we'll do what we hope to do every week, which is celebrate the game, coach the viewer, take it two or three deep on the roster, and, and set the stage a week early for what should be an incredible Pac-12 regular season.
1: There's going to be a lot of emphasis in week one on Coach Prime, Colorado, TCU. That game's on Fox. The But the, I, I feel like the, there's some stuff going on around it in the conference. You've got Utah, Florida happening. That week, you've got uh, Kenny Dillingham's, you know, debut on the Pac-12 Network. You've got, you know, Kalen DeBoer uh, Michael Penix Jr. That's going to be interesting too. And Oregon and uh, and Bo Nix uh, trying to uh, get, you know, hit the ground running. But the first two games you call, I believe it's USC twice for you in a row. Then Washington. Then Oregon. What are you looking for in those, like, in that four-game stretch in your mind?
4: Well, I, I think what's really it's been cool among you know, that question and really since the end of last season is that we're all looking forward to this league plan. You know, like we can't wait. Like, I mean, think of your listenership, like obviously you as well. Like we can't wait to get to game. Like there's, been, there's so much dialogue. But when you get outside of like the field, um, that just kind of can capture you or bring you down or whatever it may be. So as soon as we get the games, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's the most talented league in the country. 25 of the 51 first or second teamers come back. That's more than any other power five league. Like it is the most loaded league I've seen in 20 years being a part of the PAC 10 or the PAC 12. I think anybody who's covered this league for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, would probably say the same thing. So what am I looking for? I'm looking to watch. Like you look at that week one, you get 9. A.M. It's going to be an epic game. You get uh, UW, Boise State, midday game. You got Utah in a huge rematch against Florida from last year. And then, like, the sneaky game of the day is Coastal Carolina and UCLA, let alone the other ones will be at SC against Nevada. Like, there's some fun games uh, throughout the rest of week one. But when I I go to there and end up in week four, what I hope happens is that while the rest of the country takes a look at the Pac-12 conference, like the Pac-12 does what it did last year, which is put it on a lot of these non-conference teams because the league is going to be hellish. Like, nobody's ever been undefeated in the league. And I don't know if it will happen again. So I'm hoping all of our teams come through non-conference as unscathed from a win-loss standpoint, from a health standpoint, just to put themselves in a position to take a run at this conference title.
1: You know I think it's going to be ridiculous? I think Bo Nix, given the Oregon receivers. We saw it in the spring game. I was looking on both sides uh, of the ball as that spring game was playing out, and I was like, Oregon's got three or four really scary receivers to go with Bo Nix. I don't know if I've seen a group like that, for a while
4: at Oregon, yeah, it's been a while since they've even had a first-team All-League player, you know, at, at Oregon at wide receiver. It's been a long time, and it's not like they haven't recruited there, you know. To me, whether it's an injury or whether whatever it's been, like it hasn't necessarily been what you just referenced. And, and and I felt the same thing coming out of that spring game. You know, I spent a bunch of time with Ted Johnson. He's a stud. I mean, he might be you know, calling, a chance for newcomer of the year in this league. For Franklin, last year he was the most improved player on offense, non-QB, I thought, in the entire conference. He got a chance to dominate, right? Chris Hudson, Trayshawn Holden, like they've got competitive depth now there. They bring in on Dickey, you know, a midsummer enrollee, right? He's, I'm sure he just got there this past week, like most freshmen have. Uh, dude can just fly. So they they will be they they will be legit. Like I really think picking teams to, to end up in Vegas is so hard this year. Because it's going to come down to a two-minute drill. It's going to come down to an injury. It's to, That's what a lot of these games are going to be. And I think at the end of the year, it'll be the closest scoring differential we've ever had in this league. Like, I, I don't see a lot of, like, blowouts on the schedule. Like I know Stanford is a rebuild uh, for a bunch of reasons. But you look at every other team, including Colorado now, with all the new faces that are finally on campus, there's a lot of teams that believe they can take a run in a bowl game as their floor – and who knows what what could be their ceiling.
1: Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks is with us. The conference, you know, it looks to me like, you know, it's going to get out of the gates all right. It's got some things that, that you know, are, are going to be talked about. Week two, the games, though, are a little bit hidden. There's some games on the Pac-12 Network, and I know fans are going to get caught up in that. I'm already hearing some of that from my friends going, hey, they don't have any of the big exposure games. It, will it be enough in your mind, Yogi, that you've got Michael Penix Jr., you've got Bo Nix, you've got Caleb Williams, you've got a bunch of ranked teams. Will that be enough for the Pac-12 to look visible in the early part of the season?
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Look, number one, like if you look across the board those first couple weeks and Michael Penix is on ABC to kick off the season, right? You look at UFC, uh, they play Stanford in a night game on Fox in in the week two that you just referenced utah obviously going to have probably the biggest stage other than maybe colorado because all the attention on on Deion sanders coach prime you know wisconsin wazoo is playing wisconsin on abc like i i don't agree with that at all oregon's going to play texas tech on fox cal auburn and an awesome matchup um in in week two in berkeley so i I think the exposure will be there i also believe this because because it's truth is that when ted and i call a game let's just say you know however many people watch our game and 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 I hear from a lot of them. I think they get a lot of context on the team. Same thing with our other production crews. And then when then I call it ABC or Fox has our game after that, a lot of times they're calling us and saying, hey, tell me more about this story on so-and-so. Hey, tell me a little bit about the scheme that you just watched. So I I think that, like, the job for us on the Pac-12, and if fans are frustrated, like, I'm sorry, like it's kind of been the same message on repeat for over a decade, like there's a way, A, you can find it, right, whether you want to go over the top or Find your subscriber, but but be like we're competing our tails off to tell the stories in a way that nobody else is. Right, same thing with you, with your content and your coverage, and we take a ton of pride in that, man. And we put that up against any crew, any game in the country, and we hope that they watch ours in advance of their game when they get that opportunity. And and it's our job share the information, celebrate the game. Nobody has ownership over this thing. The goal is to promote the players, promote the stories, elevate the coaches, talk about these programs, and put them in the position that I think they've earned to be in, which is in the conversation, and to remind people that they go through nine conference games. They've got multiple Heisman candidates in this league. And I think this year, specifically, this league stands up against every other league incredibly well. Uh, And I would go to argue that if you took our teams, one through, call it 10 right now, and said, okay, 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, I get the Bama-Georgia conversation or Ohio State or Michigan, but I'm not afraid to put our teams into those games. I mean, I give. Georgia's been absolutely dominant the last two years, so maybe they're an anomaly. But other than that, I think this league is as talented and as loaded as possible, and I think every fan, however they watch it, wherever they watch it, should lean into that. Because I do think it it should be a year of celebration because it is one of the most gifted years we've ever had in this conference.
1: Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks analyst, is with us. Uh, you, The first two games for you will be USC. How much time will you spend or how much access will you get with Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, Take us behind the scenes. Like when you're prepping for week zero, week one, you know, how does that work on your end?
4: They're incredible. You know, Kay Ryan, that, that whole department, right, is the kind of the brain trust of Tim Tesla from back in the day, the Hall of Famer, and the SID role, which for the listeners, basically somebody kind of holding the keys to the car of setting up interviews, setting up practice visits, setting up time when, with coaches in advance of the game. Uh, NFC, just like everybody in this league, they're all incredible at it. Um, and regardless of, like, this being the last year or not, it's just been dramatically professional. I called their spring game, so I was over there for practice. Um, I'll talk to players. Caleb will be probably at the Elite 11 next next week as a counselor. Um, you know, I'll get to training camp. You'll see, of course, both of those guys and other players at media days. Uh, and I'd say SC, they make so many players available. So you can go to practice and capture, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes of it if you want to see with your eyes. Uh, they'll let Ted and I often go to a practice in advance of the game. So we get to see who the team is, you know, Ted will be calling the U S open tennis tournament, I think in advance of the week zero. So he'll fly out to LA. He and I'll go to a practice, get under their hood a little bit, talk to the coaches, talk to some players. And then the day before the game, you always have your production call or production meeting for the home team. So we will go to um, USC. We'll sit down with the head coach, the coordinators, uh, various players, and it kind of, get in all the conversation pieces, all the storylines that we want to touch upon as we build graphics and packages. And then on the other side is I take a ton of ride, honestly, along with Ted is we go visit the team that's playing our week one all the time. So whether it's San Jose state or in years past UNLV, or I have flown out to Hawaii, like I, I, my job is to not just make it a one-sided broadcast. I okay, would call the game. So I'll go spend a bunch of time with Brent Brennan. I'm trying to figure out my calendar now in August when I can get there for training camp and then knock out Cal and Stanford while I'm up there as well. So I'll, I'll try to get as detailed as possible within the opponent. And, and I, that comes back to just the respect for the craft. And, you know, Michael Molinar is our producer, as good as there is in the game. Ted is, you know, him. He's a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And, and I try to just kind of hang with those guys, man. So we we go hard, you know. And I already had a call today with our producer, Michael. of like, all right, what packages do you want to build? What graphics are we thinking? And, you know, you always over-prepare for the first couple games of the season, but that's the nature of the beast. And, the excitement and the performance anxiety that you get about getting a game like this and and just getting going in a college football season that, you know, only has 14 weeks in it.
1: Yogi Roth, uh, Pac-12 Networks analyst with us. Uh, Colorado will open up at TCU in week one. It'll be Nebraska at home in week two, then Colorado State at home, then at Oregon in a Pac-12 opener. How important is it in your mind? First of all, I want to know what you think Colorado is going to look like on the field because I don't think anybody really knows but what do you think? And then, how important is it that Colorado, in those first three games, looks good enough to draw attention as it starts Pac-12 play? Like, how important is that for the conference that Colorado looks competitive, or it looks like it 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 could be interesting entering Pac-12 play?
4: Um, I think it's a combination, you know. Like, I think I think Colorado is coming off of a team that that was not good, right? And no one would argue that from what we saw a year ago. And they're doing something that's never been done before in the history of college football. And if you just track social media or YouTube, like the standard there is really high. And I got a chance to go out there for spring practice. It's awesome watching the coaches coach, man, I mean, coaching the tails off. And granted, the, the team I saw in spring is it's pretty different than the one we'll see in the fall. Like I get to go back there and training camp in advance of their first game. And I think we can't lose sight that it, it is still a rebuild. And it's a different type of rebuild. Uh, you know, it's different than Lincoln Riley's. Like Lincoln had a lot of guys come in, but he had most of them in the spring. You know, like Jordan Addison was kind of a late get, but it's not like he had anywhere near the numbers that Colorado has the key positions. So I, I, I'd be curious if I was calling their week one game, the question I would ask coach Prime and his staff is you know, how much of your playbook on both sides is in, right? And what ideology did you have? Did you have, was it give them everything, drink from a fire hose and then find out what they're good at? Or is it, Hey, let's give them X amount of the playbook and let's just be awesome at it and give them more. Because I do think this will be a team, if they can stay healthy, that will develop as the year goes on. And I say that because they're going to be playing a lot of teams that have already developed. Like TCU is coming off a national championship in Nebraska. Different story. Colorado State is in year two of Jay, uh, of Jay Norvell. Um, and then away we go here with the conference slate of teams that are, that are built, especially the first two conference games that they have. So – Success to me is just going to be like continuous improvement, you know, blind trust of the line that SC and, and Washington used a lot last year in year one with their dramatic turnarounds. They're going to have to have that at Colorado and, and they're going to have to get up to speed even faster because the league is so good. Right. And, and that's why I, I won't just measure success on wins and losses. It'll be on like, how are they competing on the third down in the third quarter? What are pregame warmups like? How focused are guys? You know, what clarity do they have? I'll take inside what I call a game. I always ask the head coach, the coordinator, and the player the same question around the program. Mm. And if they give me a similar answer, I know this program is on the same page. And if not, then I know, oh, this is interesting.
1: I like that. That's that congruency of vision. Winners have it. I mean, you you just see it in pro teams, college teams. I hadn't thought about the head coach, coordinator, quarterback, or maybe defensive captain on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, that's a great, great point to that synergy that you get in winning programs. Yogi, I'm looking forward to it. I love that the schedule came out. Um, you know, the Oregon-Oregon the State Civil War game will be a 5 o'clock kickoff on uh, Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. I don't mind that. Pac-12 championship game. Uh, looks like it'll be a, a national uh, broadcast uh, on ABC. That's good for the conference. Uh, you know, you have seven games in week two, I think, or on the Pac-12 network. And, you know, it'll be fantastic. So, uh, it's going to be fun, man, and I look forward to Week Zero. San Jose State, don't sleep on them, Brent Brennan. They, you know, they'll be they'll they'll stick their nose in there.
4: Oh yeah, we had them against SC a couple years ago. Clay Elton was still there, and, and it was kind of a game, you know. And the, the, the coolest thing about Brent Brennan, and I got to get the updated number, but all the guys that uh, could have left, and we know what goes on in college football now. Like there's a lot of times people communicating with your student athletes on your on your roster. Uh, what was really cool about him and his culture is that nobody left. Yeah. You know, I, I got to make sure that, that that number is the same as of now. But a couple months ago, that's what it was when, when he and I connected in the spring, during spring ball. And and he's dialed on that, man. He's as good as a coach from a culture standpoint, philosophical standpoint, leadership standpoint. I'll say it, a lot of the good stories for the game in week zero, but he's he's big time, man. I'm a huge fan of who he is, what he's about. And you're right, that, that team will love this game in this environment and SC will, too. I mean, this is a championship-caliber program, man. It's, it's going to be awesome to get there at the Collie. I don't think they uh, – yeah, 5 o'clock. So it'll be perfect. be a perfect night here in L.A.
1: Yogi Roth. Uh, all right, continue the fight. Uh, keep working out. I appreciate you, man.
4: You got it, bro. Hey, you too, man. You too. All
1: right, thank you. <laughs> Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network. Schedule's out. I'll download on what I saw, what jumped off the page at me, plus a lawsuit, Holiday Bowl. Suing the Pac-12 over UCLA? You better believe it. We'll talk about it coming up. Tomorrow on the show, Sally Jenkins, Washington Post sports columnist. I was going to say Washington State. Washington Post sports columnist Sally Jenkins, author of uh, like 30 books, will be joining us uh, to talk about her new book tomorrow on the program. Uh, Also tomorrow, we have uh, the creator and the... Uh, producer that created um, Hoop Dreams, the documentary. Remember uh, remember Hoop Dreams? Well, he's got a new documentary out, Steve James does. It's called The Luckiest Guy in the World. It focuses on Bill Walton. And it will be uh, coming up on a ESPN 30 for 30, and uh, Steve James will be joining us to talk about that documentary, what to see in it, the uh, Hall of Famer, and resident deadhead. Bill Walton will be at the center of that documentary, the luckiest guy in the world. And maybe Steve James even got a word in when uh, he he visited with Bill Walton. All of that uh, coming up uh, on tomorrow's show. Later this show, in the 4 o'clock hour, Bill Riley of ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City will be joining us from the NCAA uh, softball tournament, Pac-12, dominating some softball with the College World Series there, Utah's in it, and Bill Riley will be joining us to talk about that, plus some college football, that all ahead of us. As the uh, football games came out today, Stephen, I don't know, were you tuned in to the football games? We're looking to see when the kickoff times would be, which games will be on, where the Oregon and Oregon State games fell, and Pac-12 championship on ABC, the Civil War football game, Oregon and Oregon State will take place on Black Friday at five o'clock on Fox, I think that's, uh, you know, some people didn't like that. I I actually saw that as, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to see a Black Friday game kick off too early. You miss some audience, but a five p.m. kickoff for that game could be a very meaningful game in the Pac-12 race. What did, what did you notice, or where did your eyes go, or how big a deal is the TV release in your mind?
5: Yeah, so you know, I was plugged in, John. Um, you know. Brighton for uh, 750 com. Check it out. You know, I, I talked about the top five things I saw from the Oregon State schedule. And there's a few things that really stood out, John. And the number one thing for me Oregon State, they open up the season at San Jose State on a Sunday. It's the only college football game that's going to be on TV. It's a week before week one of the NFL. People are going to be craving and starving for football. And it's going to be Oregon State and DJ Uyunglele's first game as a Beaver. Now, he has a lot of national notoriety, you know, being the number two prospect in yep. all of high school football. Like, people know this guy. They're going to want to watch him and say, hey, you know what? He failed at Clemson. Can he play well at his new spot? There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on DJ in that first game against San Jose State. And like you said, Brent Brennan's not a bad coach. Uh, San Jose State, they had some really good defensive numbers last season. Number three in the nation in yards per rush given up. Like they had, They were solid defense last season. I think it's going to be a tougher game than maybe Oregon State fans think it's going to be. And all eyes are going to be on DJ. How has he react to that? How does he play? I think it's going to be very interesting, that week one game uh, down there in San Jose.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that one's big. Selfishly, I just looked at the early part of the season because I, you know, I think there's going to be five ranked teams when the season starts. It'll be USC, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington. I think UCLA will get some votes but not be ranked. If they are ranked, I think it would be uh, historic to see six Pac-12 teams ranked, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I think USC is going to get that stage with with Caleb Williams, uh, you know, opening the season week zero. Then I go right to week one. It'll be on a Thursday on ESPN that Florida goes to Utah on a Thursday, August 31st, Rice-Eccles Stadium. That is going to be a huge stage for an SEC opponent coming to Utah I think I'm really into that and seeing what happens there. Then I'm pivoting to that Saturday. I don't know if there's – I don't think there's a bigger game in week one in America, let alone the Pac-12 Conference, than Colorado playing at TCU on Fox. It'll be a big noon kickoff on the East Coast, which means 9 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, Colorado and Coach Prime in week one. Uh, I know the same day on the Pac-12 networks, Portland State's going to Oregon. Apologies, that's not where America's tension's going to be. Uh, that's a big game, five hundred forty-five thousand dollar guarantee game for Portland State. That's important game for their program. Oregon will want to uh, keep everybody healthy and win the game, advance to Week Two. Uh, later uh, on uh, that Week One, Boise State's going to Washington. ABC took the game. I think that's interesting. I think it's definitely a vote of confidence. For both Boise State and Michael Penix Jr., there's some intrigue there. And uh, I think as you look later into uh, the schedule, I'm not like Yogi Roth. I'm not into UCLA, Coastal Carolina, 7.30 on ESPN on Saturday night. Not, not as much as I am into seeing what the heck Colorado plays like uh, you know, as they start their season. And then Oregon State's playing, as you mentioned, Oregon State's playing a Sunday game on CBS. It's wonky. College football on a Sunday, September 3rd, 1230 kickoff, Oregon State at San Jose State. And again, don't sleep on the Spartans. Like, I think Oregon State is better than San Jose State, but the Spartans will be coming off a game against USC, so they're going to see USC and Oregon State in Week 0, Week 1. And, you know, that's where I am in Week 0, Week 1. But then beyond that, it is... Colorado's second opportunity, they will also be the big noon kickoff in week two with Nebraska going to Colorado. So Coach Prime's presence at Colorado paying off big time. And then it'll be Utah-Baylor at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So at 9 a.m. you're going to have Nebraska-Colorado and Utah-Baylor both early. And it's the same weekend, week two, that Oregon goes to Texas Tech. Game's on Fox at 4 o'clock. In week two, big, big game for Dan Lanning. And, in fact, if Oregon's going to have a magical season, I think week two is the key at Texas Tech. It's a very winnable game, and the key to Oregon being 3-0 and in non-conference play. All right, coming up, uh, we will talk with Bill Riley the ESPN 700 next hour. I got, the, uh, I got the father-in-law onto the Mission Impossible series. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible You know what I'm talking about? Dun, 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 dun Everybody knows that I don't know if I did a good job with that We started with Mission Impossible 5 But Steven, I think you can do that With the Mission Impossible series I think you can just jump right in Kind of like that whole John Wick thing
5: yeah, it seems like uh, it's one of those things where there's, I mean, there's a story, but it's not a continuing story. You can just jump in and you're not really going to miss much.
1: There you go. You just, uh, I, I you know, he, he confessed to me that he didn't really love my Captain Phillips recommendation, which was my first recommendation. He said he didn't like the ending. So uh, last night he said Mission Impossible. And I said, okay, you know, there's like 12 of these. But uh, we'll start with Mission Impossible Five. I don't know which one it was. Don't at me. But uh, he's now uh, he's now into it. He said Tom Cruise. I said yes, Tom Cruise. So it's not Tom Gu- Top Gun Maverick, but it's in the uh, it's in the wheelhouse, so to speak. Uh, coming up uh, in uh, about twenty five minutes from now, we will be going to the softball college world series, where Bill Riley of ESPN seven hundred Salt Lake City will be joining us to talk about. Um, what is going on with the Pac-12 and that front? I'm not going to dwell too long on softball, but for those of you who love softball, it'll be a treat for you. I also am going to dwell on Utah athletics, football in general, whole bunch of uh, what we see going on in football and the schedule coming out. What did Bill Riley of ESPN 700, you know, see as it pertains to uh, the schedule as it was released? I'm trying to figure out where I should be, you know, because I, I always say, hey, I go to where the best game is. So I'm kind of thinking in week one, maybe I need to be at Colorado TCU. I don't know, rather than the in-state games, Portland State, Oregon, or even Oregon state's game against uh, San Jose State on that opening Saturday or Sunday. Uh, I'm leaning a little bit thinking maybe I got maybe I need to be where Coach Prime is in week one. If not in week two, I think I will be at Texas Tech, Oregon. I think that's the place to be for me. But I think there's some questions. You know, uh, you, have, you have Florida host, they're going to Salt Lake City to play Utah. Does Florida know how hard it is to play there? If they don't, they're going to find out.
5: I would say they don't, John. I saw this stat. Florida hasn't played a non-conference game outside the state of Florida since 1991.
1: Wow. I, I don't think they're going to know. I don't think you quite get it until your team's played there. And I can tell you I didn't get it until I saw visiting teams come in there. It's uh, it's it's you know, it's like when you watch a Western movie and they're moving uh, on horseback through a canyon and they come through a narrow passageway and you go, this would be a really good spot for an ambush. And lo and behold, they go, let's camp here. Uh, that's what Rice Eccles Stadium is when you walk in there. Uh, coming up, I will tell you more about the lawsuit that the Holiday Bull has filed against the Pac 12. They're suing the Pac 12 over UCLA in the pandemic season where UCLA said we don't want to play the Holiday Bowl. I'll tell you what that's all about and what I know about it. Uh, but before we get to that, let's play some punch it audio. <laughs>
2: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little
1: snippets of sound.
3: Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First
1: Call Heating and Cooling. Well, what should Portland do with the number three pick? Are the Blazers going to make the pick and force Damian Lillard's hand, or... What are they going to do? It is the subject that everybody wants to talk about this offseason. Punch it.
0: The number three pick that the Blazers acquired in that draft lottery really is a fulcrum point as we look going into this NBA offseason. Game has indicated he does not want another young player. He wants a veteran who can help him win now. But the trade options versus the upside of keeping that number three pick – are enormous for the Blazers and which direction that they go or if they try to split the middle if they try to keep the number three pick and keep dame Lillard, is that ultimately going to lead them into a corner with Lillard where he would have to make something go um you know try to make a demand so it's probably the portland situation is probably the most fascinating situation
1: heading into the nba offseason that's brian winhorst espn talking about the dilemma that the Blazers face uh, I think it's a bit of a poker game. Damian Lillard's saying he, you know, he doesn't want to, doesn't have the patience to be here in Portland alongside another 19 or 20 year old player who's drafted to save the franchise. And you know, the the point being, hey, it's invest in me or invest in your future. I just kind of wonder if, you know, does it depend on what kind of player they get? He reportedly was at the Blazers pre-draft workout that was held today to watch uh, a couple of players work out. I guess it wasn't a pre-draft formal Blazers workout, but he, he watched alongside Joe Cronin as the a as couple of players were working out. So I kind of wonder if the franchise might try to spin this and switch pitch Damian Lillard, so to speak, and maybe have him participate in watching young players with the idea, with an eye towards getting him getting excited about – you know, seeing a good young player alongside him, keep an eye on that. But if Damian Lillard does ask out, Brand Winhorse says the perfect fit is right before his eyes in the NBA Finals.
0: Punch it. Yeah, well, just to be clear, Dame is not indicated he wants to leave.
6: Right. So I don't mm-hmm. want to
0: get put the cart before the horse. But if they use the number three pick, essentially sets, it potentially sets the stage for that. It feels strange to me to talk about a team in the finals like the Miami Heat. But the Miami Heat make a lot of sense if Dane were to become available. They have a number of future first-round picks they can trade. They have a number of interesting young players. It would be a really fascinating opportunity if he were to come to market.
1: Really fascinating opportunity. Keep that in mind as you watch the NBA Finals unfold. Eric Spolstra talking about the altitude in Denver, the mile-high city. Is it going to affect the Miami Heat? Here's Spolstra, punching. We're not even getting into any of
6: that stuff. Uh, Our guys are in great shape. They're ready to compete. Uh, If uh, Denver wants to tip this thing off at the top of uh, Everest, we'll do that.
3: Um,
1: This thing is going to be decided between the four lines. Going to be decided between the four lines. My guys are in great shape. It sounds like a boxing hype, you know, pre-match press conference. Miami, the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, they have advanced. They will play Denver. Game one on ABC tomorrow, five thirty p.m. Pacific time. Who you got, Stephen? You like Denver in game one?
5: Yeah, I like Denver in game one. I don't feel great about it though. I, I, you talked about this yesterday. This is a spot where Miami, everyone's counting them out already, including myself. Jimmy Butler's done it all season long, all playoffs long. Man, I, I like Denver a lot. I think they're, I think they're a much better team, but. Would I be surprised if Miami pulls off a game one upset? Not, a, not in the slightest. Denver's been off for a long time. This is the first time they'll be in the NBA Finals with the spotlight on them. I think it's a different stage, and uh, it's one of those things you talk about. Utah, you have to get used to it playing at Utah. I think playing on the biggest stage in the NBA Finals, you got to get used to it. So game one, I think Denver, may come out a little uh, a little choppy, and that's where Miami can take advantage.
1: Keep an eye on that game one. Obviously, the Heat on every round have uh... – have uh, elevated their play. But they're up against Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, really good one-two combination. Pivoting uh, to the NFL, Bill Belichick falling on the sword. He's taking the blame for the uh, OTA fine and penalties that the New England Patriots suffered. They put a meeting on the calendar. Yep, Players Association objected to this. The NFL agreed. They have fined. The New England Patriots and penalized them. Here's Bill Belichick falling on the sword, punching.
3: Situations in the past, it's resolved and we moved on. So, it's, like I said, it was three phase two meetings. So, your
6: words about Joe make it seem as you know what? It's not one person that someone
1: should be. I'm
4: responsible for it, so that's it. All right.
1: I like how Bill Belichick's like that is in the past, isn't? Everything that you're talking about in the news conference, except for the games or tomorrow's practice, isn't everything in the past? Like, it's, couldn't it's you done say that? It's
5: done it over. It's done and over. It's it's done done over.
1: Yeah. You know, somebody, next time you get pulled over on a traffic stop, you know, that's in the past. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. Like the future. I, Come on. It's
5: like <laughs> the future.
1: I flagged you for going, you know, 11 over the speed limit. Officer, uh, with all due respect, that's in the past. I take responsibility for it. Let's move on. <laughs> See how that goes. See how that happens. Rick George, the Colorado AD, has been speaking lately. Coach Prime, the portal, Colorado taking some heat on that front. The athletic director is pushing back. Here's Rick George. Punch
6: it. Well, look, I mean, the NCAA put that rule in place, uh, you know, for coaches to be able to change their roster. Um, Was it more than usual? Probably Yes. But, you know, if we recall 18 months ago, we had 27 of our players that left on their own volition that there wasn't a lot of uproar other than they were pointing it at us or why are you letting them leave? So, you know, there's a rule in place. The transfer rule allows flexibility in that. And, um, you know, uh, it was put in place so that coaches in their first year would have an opportunity to change the roster around. Coach has done it, and he's gone out and got some really good – you know student athletes to fill those voids and um, you know i'm looking forward to the summer and the fall and how they're going to build culturally and as a team uh, heading into the 20 our 100th season at folsom phil
1: look rick george has got a great hire in deon sanders he's got to publicly back him support him and he's right about the portal look this is a coaching change too kenny dillingham at arizona state had massive turnover in the portal dan landing in his first two seasons if you look at the totality of it there's uh there's a lot of turnover in the portal let's not hate the player let's look at the system i'm not going to say it let's look at the system and let's have issues with the system not coach prime who's playing within the rules that were established speaking of rules joe clatt talking about name image likeness nil is it a problem Clad thinks it could be a problem. Punch
3: it. In a lot of cases, the money that these kids make in the next year, two, or three will be greater annualized than any future year of their life. And that's, there's, there are some deep consequences to that. In particular, if their, their identity and joy aren't attached to something more solid above money, which in our culture is so rare. I want to be very clear. I am not arguing that we should not have name, image, and likeness. There are players that deserve to to make name, image, and likeness dollars. But when you're throwing from a collective half a million dollars at a player that may or may not ever pan out, and then that player's highest earning years of his life become when he's 18 and 19 boy, there's going to be some serious consequences from a mental health standpoint when he's 29, 30, 31, and 32.
1: Look, I I don't agree with Joel Clatt. Look at the NBA. Isn't he exactly talking about what happens with the NBA draft and young players who get picked purely on speculation, get handed guaranteed contracts, get handed piles of money? It's sort of the system that they're brought up in, and I think they... The players themselves expect that success, and in fact, some who never get paid expect the success. That's why it's so heartbreaking to watch the draft and think about all the players who'd never made it. Um, I don't think there's going to be a lasting negative psychological impact on most of the players. I think if you are having a psychological issue with never reaching your expectations... I think you're probably prone to having that anyway. I don't think that NIL is the reason. I don't think NIL is going to be the problem. I think the fact that they're getting money probably in some respects makes it a little easier for them to take. But um, I don't see this as a lasting negative impact the way Joel Klatt does. I'm
5: going to push back on you a little bit, John, because I think it's a little different than the NBA. Guys that don't get drafted, they still have opportunities to play in the G League. They have opportunities to play overseas. There's tons of professional leagues that these guys can go make money in. In the NFL and the NCAA, if you struggle playing football, there's, there's really not many other leagues. I mean, I know there's XFL, USFL now. Like, are they going to stay here? Canadian Football League, but like really, there's really not many leagues. Like, if you don't make it, what else are you going to do? And so, if you make all this money in college and then you fail, like that has to have some type of impact on you.
1: Yeah, and I think. Yeah, but I think that failure is there anyway, and if you're getting money, at least don't you go, hey, I got paid, it didn't work out for me, like, I think we're talking about similar ages, 19, 20, 21-year-old young individuals in the NBA, I think the, the hardest part for some athletes, young athletes, is that they expect to get drafted, they expect the success, they expect the guaranteed contract, and when it doesn't happen, I think then you have an identity crisis, but... I think if you walk away with, uh, with some money in your pocket, I don't think the money is, is the problem. I think the expectations were the problem. Don't you think that athletes, like you've been around athletes, Stephen, like, you know, coaches have had players put their heads down, close their eyes, raise your hand if you think you're going to be drafted. Every hand in the room goes up, you know, yeah. and nobody has a realistic viewpoint at that age
5: that's very true. And so I do think it's like Clatt said, I agree with him that it's good that these guys can make the NIL money, but I do think there could be some problems down the road, especially for, you know, especially for football players. Cause I think it, basketball players, there's a lot more chance you can play professionally and play until you're in your thirties. You know, I've been told this numerous times. If you're looking to play overseas and you find a good spot, you find a good, um, a good club over there. Like you can play there for a long time and they will treat you really well. You got to find that, though. You got to improve yourself and get yeah. to that level. And I think in football, there's not those spots. And so it could just be like, because, you know, like you said, in this culture, we think money is the most important thing. If you're making, you know, $500,000 as a 20 year old and then as a 30 year old, you're making nothing off of what you're supposed to be doing for the rest of your life. I, I don't know, man. I just, I think that could be some, some trouble. And it's also one of those things where we've just started with this NAL thing. There's going to be an opportunity, there's going to be a spot where, Someone gets some money from a collective, they don't perform, and that collective's not happy about it.
1: Oh, yeah, and I think that's coming. And I, I also I kind of wonder if the coach, though, ends up the problem. Like, it becomes a bigger headache for the coach. Hey, you brought this guy in. We invested money in him. I put my hard-earned dollars in him, and, you know, he's not playing. Why, coach? You know, are you a bad evaluator of yeah, talent? Because the coach sold those people on yep. that player, right? Like I need going, that guy. I need him, yeah. I got to have that guy. Uh, speaking of talent, Amen Thompson – uh, could be a could be a candidate for the number three pick. He's moving up on some draft boards. Played for overtime elite the last two seasons. Six foot seven, 20 years old. Worked out with his twin brother in Portland yesterday. Damian Lillard was at the workout. Here's a man Thompson talking about his prognosis in the draft. Punch it.
0: Damian, Damian's the point guard. Right? More of an off-ball role. Ro- um, a connective piece. Just doing the little things, defending, being a lot threat, cutting. And, um, I can be a secondary playmaker, so that way.
1: There he is, Amen Thompson, moving up on draft boards. I think it's interesting that Lillard is there. Steven, I don't want to read too much into it, but Damian Lillard being there for these workouts, is this a sign that the Blazers are trying to get his input, maybe see if, one of these guys moves the needle for him or is this just hey dame's got nothing else to do he might as well go to the practice facility and see what's what
5: i think i think it's i think it's uh they're trying to convince him a little bit that there's some guys out there uh amen thompson he is by all accounts going to be a top 5 pick like he will be he won't be there for the 23rd pick he'll be there for the 3 pick and so i think they like him they think he could fit next to dame in a couple seasons even if dame is not as good as he once was and they want to get his opinion on it because I just feel like this market for the third pick in the draft may not be as good as, Blazers, as the Blazers and Blazer fans think it's going to be. They may not be mm. able to get that guy. And so they may be forced to draft a guy at three. And so they want to look at all different options, whether Scoot's gone or Brandon Miller's gone. It could be a man Thompson who moves up really good athlete, six foot eight, uh, very intriguing player. So I, I think they're trying to get Dame's impact and his, uh, his feedback because they do want Dame part of the franchise. They don't want to trade him, but I think they, uh, they need his or his uh, feedback on it.
1: Yeah. And I think, You know, the Blazers should be looking to see what's out there. And if Lillard is the guy that they view as, you know, in the way of a a possible player that they could see as a difference maker, they need him there. You know who has their eye on Lillard, though, if he's on the move? Uh, The Utah NBA fans. I've talked with Bill Riley of ESPN 700 about Damian Lillard. You know, again, he went to college at Weber State, they're familiar with him. There's some sentiment there, maybe some growing enthusiasm that the Jazz might get their hands on Lillard. We'll talk to Bill Riley about that. Plus, the College World Series softball team's got a Pac-12 flavor to it, Pac-12 football schedule. All that ahead with Bill Riley, ESPN 700, coming up next. Our next guest is big time. In Salt Lake City, you don't go anywhere without hearing the voice of Bill Riley, ESPN 700. You don't go to Rice Eccles Stadium. You don't go to the... Huntsman Center, you hear his voice even when you're in the parking lot warning you to leave your umbrella in the parking lot. Bottled water must be sealed, all of that business. I'm a frequent guest on his show in Salt Lake City. In fact, the last time I was on, Bill Riley and I talked about Damian Lillard, possibly, like, would he be a good fit in Salt Lake City? Now, Stephen, before I bring on Bill Riley, I told him I thought Lillard had two, maybe three good years left. Am I spitting truth there? In your mind, basketball expert Steve Vaughn used to work for the Blazers. Like, how many good years does Lillard have left?
5: Yeah, I think elite years. Like, this year he was third-team All-NBA. I think that type of level you got about two years, three years maximum because this is the type of age where point guards start falling downhill, and I know Dame isn't all athleticism, but it's explosiveness that he uses to get that step-back jumper off. I think that falls off a little bit as he gets older uh, so yeah, I'm with you. Two to three years at the elite level, where he can be an All NBA guy.
1: All right, so we're bringing on Bill Riley, ESPN 700. On that note, Bill, you hear you hear Stephen talking about Lillard. Are you Are you interested? Are the Jazz interested in Lillard? If it's a two to three year window, if it's two to if, if it's as Stephen said, two to three years of elite, John,
2: third team All NBA. Yeah, I think so. The worry would be one year of elite, or this was his last year of elite, and then you're just an all-star for the next three or four, and then that fifth year of the contract, you're paying $63 million for a guy that is a borderline all-star. But if you could say two to three years of elite, I think the Jazz would sign up for that. But, you know, are the Blazers, you know, the Jazz have the assets. They have players. They have picks. They have tap room, all that stuff. Are the Blazers ready to move on from him? You think they should because I know you wrote about it, but are the Blazers ready to move on from him?
1: We'll see. We'll find out. I want all those draft picks, though. I want Utah's entire future, and it's kind of feel. It, it it's a different model, though, there in Utah, because you've got Danny Ainge. You saw the Donovan Mitchell trade, you know, you know, a year ago, and he brought a haul back with that. Like, give me an idea. What what did that feel like to the fan base when Donovan Mitchell gets traded?
2: Uh, it was weird, but it. it... You know, it kind of felt like Donovan was setting that up for a while. He never did it publicly, but you always got the sense he had an eye on New York or a bigger market. You know, Gobert was probably better liked here a little bit because he played hard. He wasn't the player that Mitchell was. But when they dealt not one but two of those guys, you knew they were going for the hard reset. And, I mean, look what he brought back. Fifteen first-round picks over the next six years. That is a haul, plus they landed Lowry Markinen, They landed Walker Kessler. They landed Ochai Abaji. Colin Sexton, they, they've got a really good haul. That, Danny Ainge is not a guy you want to play poker with, John.
1: Yeah, and I think you've seen him do it. He's got proof of performance. It feels – am I safe to say it feels hopeful in Salt Lake City and, you know, you're coming off an all-star game and all that?
2: Oh, yeah. There's a lot of hope here. I mean, most of us pegged them for a 20-23, 24-win team this year. They won 35. And they were on pace to be a borderline play-in team before they dealt Conley and Beasley and uh, Vanderbilt and some of those guys off of the trade deadline. So, no, I mean, they, they, they outperformed their, their their expectations. And, you know, now you've got the picks, you've got the cap room. And as you said, the best part about it is Ainge has done this not once but twice with the Boston Celtics. So, there, there's a lot of hope right now in Salt Lake City. Now, you got to hit on those draft picks you got to take a swing and miss on some deals, or take a swing on some deals, too, with your cap room. But I, I think this isn't a three- or four-year rebuild. I think people are looking at it now like a two- to three-year rebuild.
1: Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City. The TV, Times, and networks came out today. <laughs> where where did your eyes go? Quick takeaways. What did you immediately notice?
2: Well, I, I looked at Utah's. So obviously, we've been waiting to see what time that Florida game would be. Utah kicks off the season on that Thursday night. I figured it would be a five or 5.30 or 6 o'clock game. It's a 6 o'clock game. That's 8 o'clock back east. It's on ESPN. It's the premier game. It's a great showcase game with Florida coming in. Then I looked at the next week. They have Baylor at Baylor. Well, that's a 10 a.m. game. But, John, that's a lead-in directly from ESPN College Game Day. That's the ESPN 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time game coming right out of Herb Street and Davis and those guys. It's a great lead-in as they go to Baylor. And then the other time I was curious about was the Oregon State game. And that's a 7 o'clock Mountain Time, 6 o'clock Pacific Time game on that Friday night at Research Stadium, which I think is going to be an electric atmosphere. Would you agree?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I think. And Here's the other thing. We were, we were talking about Florida coming to Rice-Eccles Stadium. Do you think Florida knows what it is to play at Rice-Eccles Stadium?
2: No, they don't. But. Playing in the SEC, I don't think they're going to be, you know, they play at Brian Denny. They play at Death Valley. They play, you know, they, they play big games, but they don't play at altitude. It's the first game of the year. And, John, they're not going to be, I don't think, as good as they were last year. They don't have Superman at quarterback who can use his athleticism to bail them out. Uh, the first couple of years of Billy Napier have been pretty rough down there. They had more departures in the portal than they had additions. And the people I've talked to say, you know, it, it could be a rough year. So, I don't know that they fully understand. I think they're going to say, "Oh, Utah, nice program. We beat them last year." You know, they're they're going to be in for a, I think, a little bit of an eye opener, just simply because I don't know that they they're going to expect to have the full house and the altitude and everything else for that opener.
1: Give me an idea. You know, you got Cam Rising there. Everybody's expecting that he'll be the guy. His health, the knee surgery. What have you? What are you hearing lately on that front?
2: Well, Cam was in my studio three weeks ago, sitting right across from me. He and I do a little weekly conversation during the season. Looked me in the eye, said, Bill, I'm ahead of schedule. The doctors project me. He goes, I'll be in camp, and I will start against Florida. He looked me right in the eye, and he said it. And I've also talked to people on the staff that have said the same thing. They feel good about where his rehab is. So um, whether he starts you know, whether he starts fall camp in full contact, he'll be throwing at things. But my, 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 my best guess is probably midway through camp, And obviously for the opener, based on what he's told me, he'll be the starting quarterback.
1: Bill Riley in Salt Lake City. Rather, Bill Riley's in Oklahoma City. Uh, (laughs) You're there for the College World Series, Women's College World Series, softball in Oklahoma City, Pac-12 flavor on this thing. Washington, Utah, Stanford, all present there. Set the scene for us, Bill. You get into Oklahoma City. How softball crazy is it?
2: It's nuts. I mean, they love it. I mean, this is the home of the softball World Series. It's been here for 30-plus years. They build a facility kind of like they do in Omaha for baseball. This town is gaga for it. Three-pack 12 teams, better representation than any other conference. The problem is there's two big 12 teams. One is 10 minutes from where the stadium is. The other one's an hour from where the stadium is. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are here. Two SEC teams, but they play each other tomorrow, Tennessee and Alabama, and then Florida State. It's a great setup. We usually don't do softball, John, but th- th- there was such a vibe this year around this program, and they got to the Super Regional last weekend. We did the games in Salt Lake, and they said, hey, let's let's go do let's go to Oklahoma City. So I said, sure, sign me up. This is fun. The vibe of the buzz, I was just over at the stadium a little while ago watching some of the practice. It's really, really cool, and, you know, I, I never thought I'd be doing college softball World Series stuff, but here I am, and I'm, I'm excited for it.
1: The, you know, the Pac-12, did you see this coming that – the you know, Pac-12 would have three teams in the College World Series, Stanford, Washington, Utah. I mean, you know, how big was Utah softball at the beginning of the season? Well,
2: Amy Hogue, so they were picked eighth, John. Not, no, nobody in the conference thought they'd be much. Amy Hoke told me, she's the head coach, the last time Utah was in the World Series was 1994. She was the star player on the team. So she's led the team that she was she was the star on back to the World Series 29 years later. She thought they'd be really good. I don't know if she thought they'd be World Series good, but they swept Oregon at Oregon this year. They swept Stanford at Stanford this year. Then they beat Washington, who took two out of three from them, in the semifinals, and UCLA, who swept them in the finals to get here. And if anybody thought that somebody was going to be here, people thought it was going to be UCLA, the Bruins got swept at home in the regionals. They didn't even make super regionals, so... It's been a big year for Utah all the way around. They have nine conference tie or co champion co championships or outright championships this year. It's been the best year athletics has had in their 10, 12 plus years in the in the, uh, the uh, Pac 12.
1: I want to give some love to the team to the players for people tuning in uh, for you know obviously Utah will play Washington in uh, the opening round tomorrow. It'll be, uh, I think it's 6.30 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN. Yep. So you'll be head-to-head with maybe some NBA finals game one, Bill. But what do you know about Utah versus Washington? I don't like to see two Pac-12 teams playing each other early, but uh, I guess we'll figure out who has the inside track right away.
2: Well, it's not only that. The other Pac-12 team has to play the most dominant team in the sport. Stanford's got to play Oklahoma, who's won 48 straight games, and have a de facto, they'll have 10 of the 13,000 fans there. Tomorrow will be Oklahoma fans. It'll be a good matchup. I was talking to Amy Hogue about it today on my show, and she's like, hey, Washington is really, really good. They beat them two out of three in Seattle, and then Utah came back and won the one in the Pac-12 tournament. She looks at it as a really even game. Somebody's got to make a play, but, you know, these two teams have played each other four times, went two and two this year. Washington can really hit it. I mean, their leadoff gal is so very good. Bailey Klingler, she's outstanding, All-American player. Um you know, I, I didn't see that series. I saw the semifinal in the Pac-12 tournament. Coach tells me it'll be a close game down to the very end. I'll take her word for it.
1: I don't know a lot about softball, but I know that <laughs> it is an exciting game to watch and that it moves fast. I grew up in a baseball family. Um, man, it just some of the natural things you see in baseball don't apply. But I do find myself, as I'm flipping around, watching sort of the bang-bang fast-paced, don't-blink nature of the game. Like, what do you get when you watch a softball game?
2: Same thing, John. I grew up playing baseball. I didn't have a baseball professional father like you did, but I was around the game. I call a lot of Utah baseball at the Pac-12. Last weekend was the first softball I've called since doing high school softball back in my early broadcasting days. I love it. The game moves. They don't, you know, even though the pitch clock is in baseball, it still plods along this softball moves fast. It's quick. It's exciting. There's a lot more energy. The stadiums are smaller. There were three thousand for all three games last week for Utah record attendance. I, I love it. I I I just I've I've had a blast doing the last weekend or so, but to what you said, it's a different game, but there's some similarities. If you're a baseball person, you'll like the energy and the fast pace of it. And I I just I've had a blast doing it.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it's going to be fun to watch, I think, uh, from a Pac-12 standpoint, when you're talking about, you know, a limited number of teams, and you've got three entries that are uh, pushing towards, uh, you know, trying to get to the final, uh, you also, you know, Bill, I think, you know, you do soccer, you do all the University of Utah things, you host your own show, um, I'm one to talk, but give me an idea of the balance you find in your lifestyle and your work-life balance, like... Where do you go to kind of find that?
2: Well, I'm not doing as much soccer this year, so I'm finding a little bit more balance on weekends. But, you know, John, I try, you know, this is a big outdoor state, a lot like Oregon is. I try to get away with my kids, do some hikes, do, you know, if I get a day or two off during the week, I am thrilled by it. But the older I get, as much as I love my job, I'm trying to find that balance a little bit more. So a little bit of outdoor stuff. A Saturday or Sunday that's off is fantastic for me, but you're kind of like me. You love what you do. I get to get bring my kids who are older now to games when they want to go and incorporate them in it just a little bit. So, where I can find a day or two off, it's a lot of fun, but you and I get to do something we love for a living and be around, you know, being around collegiate kids too. Not as much the professionals, but the collegiate kids. I think it kind of keeps you young and energized. I kind of like that part of it too.
1: Best interview, University of Utah. Football team, not named Cam Rising.
2: Oh, best interview, not named Cam Rising. Go through it real fast. Oh, Junior Kafuna, all Pac 12 defensive tackle. Very, very good interview. Outstanding interview. And then Keaton Bills, who will be an all conference left guard. He's the guy with the long hair on the offensive line, kind of the regulator. He's an outstanding interview, too.
1: Love that. Bill, I appreciate your time. Good luck there in Oklahoma City with this event. I hope your team plays on and makes it enjoyable and fun for you. But uh, Washington against Utah in the Women's College World Series tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. ESPN. Check it out. Bill Riley, thank you. John, you're the best. Talk to you soon. Love the flavor there from Oklahoma City. Steven, the Jazz, would the Blazers trade Lillard? to a team in the Western Conference, if they had to do it, is Utah that place? Like Because he brought it up to me. He's like, hey, if they're ready to trade him, Utah would take him. They do have a pile of draft picks. Uh, I'm just not sure the Blazers are going to get to that point, and I'm frankly not sure that they have the guts to make that kind of move if it's necessary. But if the Blazers have to trade Lillard, would you prefer there to be some parameters on where he lands or do you just look for the best deal? I would just want the best
5: deal. Um, I, I don't, you know, yeah, it would suck having them in the Western Conference against, you know, being with Utah. You know, I'm more of a hated rival for the Blazers. Blazers fans don't really like Utah. Uh, but I, I would just rather get the best deal involved. But I would say what Bill said about Danny Ainge. You don't want to play poker with that guy. Yeah, It would make me worried if Danny Ainge made the trade for Damian Lillard, no matter what it is. I would, it's, it, you know, I would feel like the Blazers are going to lose that trade just because Danny Ainge is so good, and he, you know, he knows something that no one else does. I, it just would worry me, but no, John, I think anywhere you can get the best deal for Dame if you're looking to trade him, I think you do that. And I don't, you know, I know people want to say you owe it to Dame to see where he wants to go, but at this point, like, you got to help yourself with the franchise, and I think that's the best way possible. But yeah, Utah man, Danny Ainge, he's, he's got that thing going, and he's made some great trades. They're in a great spot right now.
1: Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide. Love that interview with Bill Riley, ESPN 700. He talks about a lot of different things there. Um, I want to pivot to the Holiday Bowl, suing the Pac-12 Conference. Remember, UCLA pulled out of the 2021 Holiday Bowl against North Carolina State. Uh, The organization that runs the Holiday Bowl is now suing the Pac-12 Conference and the University of California Regents after UCLA backed out of that game. I do know some stuff about this. I believe the Holiday Bowl is having some financial problems. But the San Diego Bowl Game Association, which operates and owns the Holiday Bowl, is seeking $3 million in damages in a lawsuit that was filed today in San Diego County. Remember, UCLA announced less than five hours before it was supposed to kick off against North Carolina State that it was pulling out of the game. Three defensive linemen tested positive for COVID-19. There's a 10-page court filing that comes more than 17 months after negotiations between the bowl game and the Pac-12 failed to come to a resolution. Bowl game says it lost $8 million because of the cancellation. That includes $3.6 million in ticket revenue. $1.4 million had to be returned to the title game sponsor. Um... By the way, the bowl organization has not paid Oregon or the Pac-12 for the $2.45 million that it owes from last year's game. It says, hey, we're going to take that as an offset towards damages for the cancellation of the 2021 game. The Pac-12 has issued a statement. It's a lot of word salad. Basically, good faith efforts, fair resolution, cancellation, refusing to pay the fees, Yada, 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 as they say. UCLA is declining comment, but I do have some background on this. Now, the Holiday Bowl, to me, looks like it's trying to take advantage of the pandemic for financial gain. It, you know, UCLA doesn't have enough players to play the game. They don't have enough defensive linemen to play the game in a COVID year. So that does not constitute force majeure under any kind of agreement it's kind of a weak legal argument and and frankly like we can disagree on masking and the vaccine or whatever we want to disagree on when it came when it comes to uh you know the the covid and pandemic era but i i think we all sort of agree that people who took advantage by like buying up all the all the toilet paper buying up all the hand sanitizer buying up all the Lysol disinfectant wipes, buying up all the masks, cutting the line for the vaccine. Like, do we not have like a unfavorable opinion of people who did all that? Like people who financially benefited from the pandemic. It was sort of understood that we were all suffering together and there was kind of a unwritten code when you went to the grocery store. Don't take all the toilet paper. What are we doing here? But some people did. You know, you saw those videos on TikTok and Instagram where people were hoarding toilet paper and, you know, being yelled at it as they went through the parking lot. It feels to me and it looks to me like the Holiday Bowl is trying to take advantage of the pandemic for a financial game. UCLA couldn't play. What's Pac-12 supposed to do about that? What's UCLA supposed to do about that? Um, I am told that the Pac-12, as part of the negotiation with the Holiday Bowl, Offered the Holiday Bowl an interest-free loan. Also offered to let a mediator decide, was the pandemic, did it qualify as a force majeure effort? Let a mediator decide on that. And uh, the Holiday Bowl declined on those fronts. Now, I know, because I had a contract, and the NBA and NFL and Major League Baseball had a contract, that all involved force majeure clauses whether it was the pandemic an act of God you know because if you have that then contracts and you know can be unwound and broken and and everybody goes their separate ways and I can tell you that when the pandemic hit there was some conversation with my agent about my own contract there was conversation with my employer and nationally There was conversation everywhere about whether or not this, you know, the pandemic qualified as an act of God that would allow people to unwind contracts. And I didn't see a single case of that becoming fact, that becoming true. I think it would have caused a cascade of issues. Then it would have caused a bunch of problems and a bunch of lawsuits and a lot of litigation. And so nobody in their right mind saw the pandemic as an act of God. It was just a pandemic. And if it wasn't specifically... Noted in a contract as if a virus or a pandemic, uh, you know, causes a cancellation of games or events or sports. And then you saw contracts that were enforceable. Now, you are seeing that written into contracts today. It's interesting. You know, I, you, you've seen it with sports. You've seen it with coaches and teams. You're seeing that stuff. So the Holiday Bowl, it looks to me, looks like a bad partner. With the Pac-12. They've been a long-standing partner. And Holiday Bowl looks to me like they're trying to take advantage of the pandemic going, hey, look, UCLA couldn't play. They didn't have enough D-linemen. They canceled too close to the game. Cost us a bunch of money. And they must be in such a bad financial position that they go, we can't afford to absorb this loss. And they are trying to make the Pac-12 pay for it. I don't think they're going to be successful in this. I think it's a bad look. I'm going to look deeper at it, but, you know, I I don't have a great affinity for the bowl game people themselves, but most of the time the bowl games, it's kind of a racket. You know, I'm in the press box. I get to see the bowl representatives. They come to the games late in the season. They're looking at the Oregon teams, Oregon State teams, Washington, Washington State, whoever. They show up in the press box, you know, in like week six, seven, eight, nine. They eat cheesecake. They, or, or whatever dessert they're serving in the press box. They sit around in their green jackets or their gold jackets or their orange jackets. They always have matching jackets on that match the bowl game. They hand out some stickers, maybe some pins, maybe some promotional materials. They set them down uh, on press row. As, you, know, you come to your seat. You'll be like, oh, the Weed Whacker Bowl guys are here. And then you look down, and they're eating cheesecake, and they're yucking it up. It's kind of a racket. If you can get those gigs, they're good. And they also hold like their junkets. They got busted in the past. Some of the, some of these bowl games have been busted for, you know, basically wasting all of the bowl money. The Holiday Bowl just looks petty on this front. UCLA didn't have enough players to play. Stephen, what do you make of this?
5: It's tough because it was it's like you said, it was during the pandemic when things were so heightened, you know, it's still unknown of what was exactly happening. Just around the world, and so for UCLA not to have enough players, like, do do you expect them to go out and play, not health wise, and it's not even this at that point. It's like your body, like your legs and your arms, and you're like risking stuff for life. I, I don't know. I I I don't side. It seems like it's a money move, um, by the Holiday Bowl, and they're just upset that that happened. But I don't know. I just feel like it's a it's a tough spot because. At that point in time we just didn't know what was happening. And there were so many questions. There was protocols everywhere. And I mean I I don't know. UCLA just didn't have enough players. Like, what are they supposed to do? Just grab random people off the street? You can't do that.
1: Yeah, and I think too, you know, I look back at UCLA during that time and I kinda say to myself, Look, like we all had to have a little bit of grace with each other. You know, we had to. It it was different. It was new. I never been anything been through anything like it. Like I was laughing because a couple of months ago Anna and I stumbled onto this list and it was kind of this list of like a grocery list she sent me to the store with when the pandemic first started and there were ridiculous items on the list because we didn't know what it was. We didn't, none of us knew and I can remember going to the store and kind of, I was there before everybody else was there and I wasn't sure what to buy because we didn't know how long are we going to be locked down? What do we need? Like, and I can remember like other people in the store struggling with the same stuff and having conversations with people as I kind of moved around the store going, am I buying food for like four days or am I buying food for 40 days or what? Am, you know what is going to be at a premium here? And, but we all had to have kind of this grace, this unspoken grace with each other, and I think a lot of people did. And I think what should happen is that the Pac-12 and the Holiday Bowl should just be good partners to each other and probably find some common ground. Hey, can we split the difference? Hey, can we give you an interest-free loan? Hey, can we, you know, can we steer some of our sponsors to you? I don't know, but it doesn't feel like this should be a lawsuit. Leave it here. I wrote today about the lawsuit involving Nick Rolovich at Washington State and a fan base that really needs to stick together. You can read it at johnkanzano.com. Uh Anna is Busy with the kids at Pickleball. No way around it. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Okay? She's at Pickleball. kids are at Pickleball. I said, what does she do when the kids are at Pickleball? She says, I watch them play Pickleball. It's probably wise. (laughs) Hanging out at Pickleball. Uh, Anna's not going to be here for the 5 at 5. That's what it means. It means Steven's on the clock. And Steven knew this because I alerted him earlier. Are Are you fired up for this, Steven? Fired up, man. Mouse in the house. There's a mouse in the house. Let's do it. The 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. The number one story, as Stephen sees it, is...
5: Non-conference college football kickoff times and networks announced some conference games as well. This is the big news around here. Uh, For Oregon, take on Portland State Week 1. That's going to be a noon kickoff Pac-12 network at Texas Tech, 4 p.m. Fox, September 9th. September 16th, Hawaii. It's a 5 p.m. kick. Pac-12 Network. Then of the Civil War game they have announced Friday, November 24th against Oregon State. That's going to be a 5-30 kickoff on Fox for Oregon State. September 3rd is a Sunday at San Jose State. 12-30 CBS. We talked about that early in the show. The whole nation will be watching the Beavs as That's the only football game on at that point. Uh, Pac-12 Network game on September 9th against UC Davis. FS, uh, FS-1 game against San Diego State in week three. That's a 12-30 kickoff. And then they play Utah, another Friday Pac-12 game. Last year it was Washington up in Seattle this year uh, in Corvallis against Utah. That's going to be a 6 p.m. kickoff September 29th, which is a Friday on FS1, and then the uh, Civil War game, like I said. And also some uh, other news, Coach Prime, Colorado, big noon kickoff for their first two games of the season, John. Both games, TCU and at home versus Nebraska.
1: It's really interesting. You you mentioned that Nebraska game at Colorado in Week 2. That'll be 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's an early kickoff. And obviously Fox trying to get Coach Prime in front of a bunch of eyeballs. But, you know, uh, John, one of the historians, JP, who works on the show, said that other than the pandemic year in 2020, Cal played UCLA and Arizona State played at USC uh, during the pandemic year. Weird kickoff times. It was 9 a.m. kickoff for both of those games. The 10 a.m. kickoff time for Colorado-Nebraska – is the earliest kickoff time in conference history, other than the pandemic. So they're going with early kicks two weeks in a row for Colorado. But that is a local time, 10 a.m. kickoff. That is the earliest kickoff time in Pac-12 history, other than the pandemic year where we had some weird things happen with TV.
5: Don't you also think that they they want to get Colorado, main TV, national TV, the first couple weeks, just in case they're not very good?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Fox wants it badly. And I think the Pac-12 is probably holding out hope that Colorado either turns out to be really good, setting up that week four matchup that is the first week of Pac-12 play all the way around at Oregon and setting Oregon up for, like, a potential visit from game day uh, during that week. Or if Colorado steals one. Let's say they beat Nebraska. Let's say they beat Colorado State. Let's say they go into that week four matchup two and one. I think it's enough. And I think at that point ESPN and some others would be interested in getting uh, a presence possibly for game day, either against Oregon in week four or at at home against USC in week five. Keep an eye on those two games. I just love seeing some kickoff times, especially given that we have suffered – In recent years, with not knowing kickoff times, it's just nice to see a flurry of kickoff times come out. Number two thing, as Stephen sees it, is...
5: Uh, The Diamond Sports Group, they decided not to pay the San Diego Padres their latest rights fee, and that means the team's broadcasting rights goes back to Major League Baseball. Now, all the announcers and analysts are employed by the team, so that was unaffected, but MLB, they put on their game today uh, as they are in action right now against the Miami Marlins, MLB is going to provide Padre games through its MLB.tv app for free through Sunday. And then after that, even in-market fans can watch the games as they can stream it for uh, uh, $20 a month, $75 for the rest of the year. No blackouts. Um, you know. And then uh, some of the cable providers in San Diego are still going to show them. FUBU TV also going to continue uh, to air Padre games through its platform. But no blackouts. MLB is in charge of the Padres uh, TV broadcast. Is that something that could be happening in the future, or is this just kind of a one-off?
1: Look, I think it's interesting because what we're seeing is some normalizing of streaming and alternate viewing options, and I think this is good for the market. In much the same way that I think we all got accustomed to paying for Netflix, and then paying for Hulu, and then paying for Apple TV or Amazon Prime. I think there is a real sort of, uh, we're being desensitized to this streaming stuff. So. I'm looking at it more from that standpoint that, you know, there was all this pushback several months ago when, you know, people said, well, it's possible that the Pac-12 could end up with an all streaming option. Now we're seeing ESPN talking about pivoting to streaming here in the next two to three years. And I think there's, it's just be, being normalized. And, and so I like that, look, there's a path to see the games. If you want to see the games and there's a path for you to get them. And I think that to me is the biggest thing for fans if you don't have the ability to access the content that's where the frustration comes in number three thing as you see it
5: trailblazers uh number three draft pick in the draft but they also got the 23rd pick they had some more pre-draft workouts today a couple wings six foot eight wings of the g league kobe brown six foot eight out of missouri six foot eight jalen wilson and then big man from indiana trace jackson davis he's six nine all in today to work out for the portland trailblazers but we talked about this just a little bit ago bigger one was yesterday when Amin thompson and his twin brother usar were out working with the blazers at the practice facility both projected to be in the top 10 and i in thompson having a chance to be that number three pick depending on what happens before him depends on what the blazers want to do he's moving up the draft boards and I think the bigger news was Damian Lillard was there watching Thompson, the Thompson Twins, work out uh, in front of him, in front of his eyes to see if he likes them.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. You know, Lillard's got eyes on. They're involving him. Kind of suggests I think that they are letting him see what they might be able to do with the three pick instead of just keeping him locked out. Uh, it also it makes me wonder. If Lillard, after his playing career, could become one of those players that pivots into a coaching role or a general manager role, Uh, keep an eye on that. I just, you know, I know he's got interests outside of basketball and music and entertainment and other things, but I don't know. It's interesting to me that he is participating in some of this stuff. I mean,
5: because, you know, last season when they drafted Shaden Sharp, he wasn't necessarily on board with drafting a a young player, but he saw Shane Sharp work out and he kind of wrote off on it and said, yeah, I'm good with this. Like this guy is good. And I could see him turning out to be something. I wonder if that's what it's going to be this season as well, because he said those things to Stephen A. Smith saying, I don't want another 19 year old on the team. And uh, said that after, uh, after their final game of the season to the media, he said that like, I don't want to play with another 19, 20 year old. But if he watches these guys and you what he understands the direction maybe the Blazers want to go, I mean, could he change his mind? Does he want to stay in Portland even if they make that draft pick? I think it's really interesting.
1: Now I think, you know, I've long believed he got he made more money by staying in Portland. He was eligible for the Supermax. He, you know, he just he made more money than he could have made by leaving and going anywhere else. So that was always in his interest. I would like to see him either be happy or find peace with the Blazers trying to do a a mini rebuild around him even if they are going a little young around him i like to see him you know find peace with that but i think ultimately the great irony is they're going to have to use him in his contract to to clearly make that pivot and they can't there's no way around it you can't halfway rebuild so if they really are willing to make the pivot then then i think lillard becomes part of it but can they sell him on the Blazers keeping the pick, that's the question to me. I think you can get a good player at three. And
5: a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of reports out there. Still, a long way to the draft. Um, but you know, Mikael Bridges seems like the Nets want a lot of uh, a lot of pieces off that. Jalen Brown, he's eligible for a supermax contract in Boston, which is five years, two hundred ninety million dollars. But he can only sign it with the Celtics. So if the Celtics were to trade him to Portland, he can't sign that supermax. So what do they do? It seems like to me, John that the Blazers are starting to look around the market and say, you know what? We may not be able to get that game changing veteran right now for the third pick of the draft. There's just too much stuff going on too much unknown. We might as well just take one of these really talented players and build for the future and hope to sell Dame on it and say, you know what Dame, this may be the best option for you, you know, in a couple of years when you're not the best player to have a chance to win. Or, you know what, we're just going to go this direction because it's best for the franchise.
1: Yeah. And I think we'll ultimately figure out what that is and how it looks I believe we're on number four. Is that right?
5: Yes, we are. Uh, Number four
1: thing. What
5: do you got? Uh, NBA Finals does start tomorrow. I don't know if you remember this, John. Tyler Hero, sixth man of the year last season. He got hurt in round one, game one, against the Milwaukee Bucks. We kind of forgot about it because he'd have been playing so well. But Eric Spolstra, he confirmed today that Hero will be ruled out for game one of the NBA Finals. Hero got surgery, breaking his right hand, which is his shooting hand, uh, when he dove for a loose ball in game one of that uh, series against the Milwaukee Bucks. Swolster said Hero is ramping up his activity. Chris Haynes reports that they're shooting for game three, hopefully next week for Tyler Hero to come back. He averaged 20 points a game, five and a half rebounds, four assists during the regular season. Of course, game one is tomorrow. Nuggets eight and a half point favorites in that game. But John Tyler Hero, the Heat have been playing so well and there's been so much cohesion and they're starting to get things going. Do you want to throw a guy out there that needs the basketball, you know, it's going to change up the flow a little bit. Is it too risky at this point in the season to say, you know what, we've, we've got to the MA Finals, now we're going to throw in a guy who's the sixth man of the year?
1: I don't know the answer to that question. But I, I'm more caught up, Steven, on will people watch the series? Like, you, you know, you're looking inside the series, Tyler Hero, you know, you're getting inside baseball and all this. But do you think people will watch the series at all? Will it get numbers?
5: I think so at the start, and then if it's close, I think whenever sports are close, people start tuning in. It doesn't matter what sport it is. You I remember back in the day, uh, the women's Final Four, when UConn got upset at Mississippi State, everyone was watching that because we all heard what was going on. We all checked the internet, and we saw this happening, so we wanted to watch. I think if there's close games, people are going to watch. If they're blowouts or they're not necessarily high scoring, people aren't going to watch because it is Denver and Miami, and they don't know who these players are.
1: I want to play a clip from Jeff Van Gundy, who will be on the broadcast. He's talking specifically about will fans give this series a chance.
6: I hope it's a resounding success and a celebration of two teams who did a tremendous job navigating their playoff runs. And even if it's not the most highly rated finals, and I don't know if it will be or won't be, but even if it's not, I think it still uh, speaks well about the league in that. Whereas some people be- before tuning in may not have seen much of Jokic, they're going to be drawn more in uh, as the years go on to watching his greatness. And if you're not as clued into Bam Adebayo and it- the versatility of his game, uh, you will be after you know watching this where it may suffer a bit in ratings because people don't know the competitors as well. I think if they give it a chance, it'll be very, very well received.
1: Very well received by Jeff Van Gundy. It's not here. Normally like that's not a selling point. A lot of times, Hey, you know, how's this series going to be? I think it'll be very well received. Uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. I'll be curious to see. Kind of how I, this unfolds, but I, I, think I'm is, in.
5: I think there is potential for it to be a surprisingly good series. Like if it is close, I think people are like, oh, you know, what? this was this was actually pretty good because there's such low expectations.
1: There you go. Number five, finally, Aaron
5: Rodgers. He's always in the news. Uh, so this came out on the Athletic today. Apparently, back in tw- uh, 2021, Aaron Rodgers' his agent requested that the to Packers' president Mark Murphy that they either trade Rodgers or fire general manager Brian Gutekunst during that offseason now murphy mm. decided to do neither of those and then it was a couple months later aaron rogers was reported to be unhappy and wanted to trade so guten he wanted to try to you know mend it a little bit so he traded for randall cobb who was aaron Rodgers' friend rogers aired his grievances saying he wanted to see changes to the organization's communication and culture and according to rogers the communication with him and gun improved after that of course rogers went on to win his second consecutive mmp became not happy again now, uh, then he signed a three-year, one hundred fifty million dollar extension to stay in Green Bay before wanting to be traded once again. John, uh, you know he wasn't happy in Green Bay, but then he got the MVP and got a one hundred fifty million dollar contract. I think he uh, started to be happy once again.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if there will be parallels between his trajectory and sort of what we saw with Russell Wilson and going to Denver. I don't know. I just think that he's he may be setting himself up. Just a little bit on that front. And he's got to produce. But, again, you go back to will he produce, can he produce, has he produced, just like Russell Wilson he has. So I, I think it'll it's going to be one of the great soap operas of the NFL offseason and regular season as we watch Aaron Rodgers. Like I, I already know, like we already saw video of, oh, he's working with players. Oh, you know, it's it's kind of like the New York Jets, who, by the way, are not in a small media market. Are now suddenly uh you know, on the big stage. And there you have it.
5: He's loving it. I do have a question though I wanted to ask yeah. about this, and it's more just to all sports, but Rogers going to the president and saying, I want you to fire the fire the general manager, how often do you think that happens, whether it's fire a general manager or fire a coach? Like he goes above and beyond to the president of the team. Like how often does that happened, do you think in sports uh just in general? Like or is this I, like a, yeah.
1: a one off? I had, I talked to a high profile agent one time who told me that you never, like from his standpoint, you never want your client to be the reason why someone got fired. Like your client may have a serious issue with the general manager or the coach, but you don't want the perception from the outside to be that your client was the lightning rod of that person needs to go. I can't work with that person because the narrative ultimately comes back on that player. So I think it's really interesting that that gets out and that that is, you know, it doesn't surprise anybody, but I think it probably happens more often than we realize, but very subtly, it's that dreaded vote of confidence from a star player to a coach. Oh no, he's my guy, he's my guy. While the agent is back-channeling to the owner going, you know, he, my guy's going to ask out unless you make a change at that position. I think we've seen some weird things we saw in Brooklyn, you know, with uh, with Kevin Durant and and uh, you know Joe Psy, and, and and he ends up in Phoenix Aaron Rodgers um you know I don't think you know I I also had I had a uh, a billionaire tell me that there's nothing that wealthy people love more than telling other wealthy people to pound sand think about that like do you really think these owners want the millionaire quarterback. The owners are billionaires. Do you want some millionaire quarterback telling you how to run your business? No. It reminds me of when Scottie Pippen left the Blazers. Scottie Pippen left the Blazers, and when he did, Stephen, he reached out to Paul Allen before he was leaving, kind of going, "Hey, I would be interested in an ownership role. In, in I would take partial ownership of the Blazers." If, uh, you know, you want me to play one more year in some capacity in Portland, Paul Allen did not return his call.
5: It's just one of those things where I would love to have just, you know, an owner or an agent just tell the truth about everything like a tell all book of all the times that this has happened, because I'm with you. I think this happens more often than we think. But at the same time, like you know, they became owners for a reason. And, you know, Mark Murphy, he's not going to just give in to whatever Aaron Rodgers has to say. So, like, he's going to take a stand, and be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep my guy, Gunkunst, and uh, go from there and see what happens.
1: Let's go to the phone lines. Pat's in Longview. Pat, you got a question about the five at five. What's on your mind?
2: Uh, what, what's on my mind is this idea of uh, ESPN and going to streaming and everything going to streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh
4: my problem is I'm an older fan sure. who doesn't have the ability to stream. Yeah. I've got an older TV, da da da.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I don't think you're alone. I think it'll be a slower pivot. I still think you're gonna be able to access some games the way that you always have. How old are you, Pat?
2: Seventy two basically.
1: Yeah, so you're like my parents. You know, I, I tried to get my parents to stream using Hulu. They were fed up with it. They were like, "No, nope, no." Nope. They they use Directv. They're still on Directv. I hear them talking all the time. Like, you know, can I get? And I actually think I need to go there physically, Pat, and and teach them. Hey, here's how it is. But it's like everything. Like in your lifetime, Pat, what technological advances did you see that maybe your parents it would have blown their mind?
2: Holy cow! I, I mean, what's going on now is blowing my mind. <laughs>
4: It's because true. things are
1: so radical. Yeah. It but you know, I here's the thing. I think if you had someone walk you through it, Pat, see what I feel for that guy. I feel for Pat. I Pat needs a neighbor, he needs a friend, he needs somebody to go, hey, you know it's not so daunting. Here's what you need, here's how you do it, and walk him through it one one or two times. I can tell you I my seventy seven year old father in law who's visiting from Taiwan, right? Anna went over, brought him over you know he he's he, last night for the first time i showed him apple tv blew his mind well,
5: to that to that <laughs> point John. i i don't know i'm pretty sure you probably saw this as well but peacock they're going to be streaming games just on the peacock app and one is washington versus michigan state like that's a pretty solid big game that will only be on peacock it won't be on tv you're going to have to stream that The Big Ten's doing that a couple other times, ECU taking on Michigan and then uh, Delaware versus Penn State. But that's a big non-conference game to put only on the Peacock app is Washington at Michigan State.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for some people like Pat and Longview. It's going to be tough for people like my parents who, you know, my dad's – I think he turned 77 this year. Uh, Talked to him on the phone today. But, you know, here's my dad who, you know, is probably like a lot of people his age. He's now – he's using like, you know, a – a financial – he's making stock trades using an app. Like, that That was not something he was comfortable with a couple of years ago, and all it really took was kind of showing him, hey, you don't really have to get online to do this. You can do this on your phone. What? Like, how, how is that possible? You know, like, you used to have to call a stockbroker. There there are technological logical steps that happen, I think, for every generation that are a little uncomfortable, really. You know, I can't imagine – that it's an easy thing for somebody in their 70s or 80s or 90s to hear, hey, all you have to do is get that game on uh, and stream it on Paramount. Um, But what you need is you need Internet access, okay? You you probably have access to the Internet if you have a basic cable package. And then you need someone maybe a little younger and a little more savvy to help you out. And I I hope Pat Longview's got a neighbor, a friend, a relative, a nephew, a grandson, a son – somebody that lives near him that can just say, hey, Pat, look, I know it sounds daunting, but here's how you do it, and can get him access to uh, whatever it is that he needs to get to. Because I know, I showed the 77-year-old uh, father-in-law Apple TV, and he he was able to uh, find volume up and down on the remote control, but I was trying to kind of explain, like, you just kind of have to navigate with your thumb on the remote And he's looking at it like, where's the buttons? And I'm like, well, you know, it's a whole nother conversation. Leave it here. Get the BFT. Speaking of technology and advances, have you seen these football helmets that uh, LSU is going to wear this season? Seen this, Stephen? You know anything that I'm talking about here?
5: Ah, no idea what you're talking about.
1: All right. What have I told you that football helmet technology has raised the bar to the point where LSU will have the benefit of air-conditioned helmets next season.
5: That uh, doesn't sound bad. That sounds great.
1: All right, but this was a video that was social uh, that was circulating on social media, and uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> if you're exhausted from the heat in your helmet, it says raise your game. They introduced the Cyclone, a cooling air accelerator for your helmet. It'll allow you to keep your cool and remain present under stress. Uh, give you better focus, better responsiveness, better endurance, better comfort. You can uh, shop on their website, and it comes with this little uh, thing that I guess players have to wear, and it blows air through a tube into the helmet. It says it can run nonstop for more than 300 minutes on a single charge, and the uh, it fits inside the... Uh, football helmet safe for all ages to me this just feels like too much there's such a thing as too much technology and this is it
5: but but if it helps like you know we you does see, it i mean you see those offensive linemen especially they take their helmets off and there's just steam coming everywhere
1: but just hydrate and get them on the sideline like the fact that you have a fan in your helmet by the way if some player is really interested in having a fan inside their helmet and going you know this is why i want to go to lsu they've got the air conditioned helmets that's not a guy you want on your team
5: yeah i agree with that i agree with that that you know it shouldn't be shouldn't be the deciding factor but i mean it's a, definitely a benefit <laughs> i mean i know sometimes when i'm sitting outside and i'm wearing a hat trying to get you know, trying not to make my uh, head get just completely burnt, yeah. i wish i had an air conditioner in my hat
1: i think that's a better market for for it's called tiger air for bald guys yeah i think it's a better market they, they should go after fans they should just say, hey, look, we can sell you an air-conditioned hat. And here you wear it. Like, it, it, you can sit right next to the guy who's got the two beer cans and the straws coming off his helmet. There he's drinking double beers. Put him next. Put that football player right next to that guy. But I, I, I actually think this, like, I looked at it and I thought, is this April Fool's? Like, what are they trying to sell us here? But, you know, it's a story. And uh, apparently they're calling them air-conditioned helmets, airheads. So there you go. The Bengals will be cooler on the field, or is this a scam? Is this April Fool's Day? It's not April. It can't be real. You never know anymore with the
5: Internet. That's the thing.
1: All right. AI. Has there been advances in technology when it comes to sports like basketball, football, baseball, golf, where the equipment makes you better as a player? Of course. But I think there's a point where sometimes you go too far I even felt like Oregon, when Oregon did, like, you know, their locker room was over the top back in the day. It was a big deal. They had Xboxes in the locker room. They had the lockers themselves were able to, like, they were blowing air through the lockers to kind of make the uh, equipment not mildew or mold and stink like locker rooms do. And, you know, and then they had the cryo pool. My friends at Anderson Pole Works put in the cryo pool at Oregon And it was like this big, uh, you know, it's a cryo pool. It's a recovery pool. And then Oregon State needed to have one, and Oregon State did the cryo pool, and Oregon State now has that as well, that technology. It's really just a swim spa that has various different temperatures and areas. So, like, some of the jets in one area are blowing a little warmer than other areas, and then it cools you down as you walk through this cryo recovery pool and it's way deep all the way through and i was like well we all really have access to a cryo pool we just don't call it a cryo pool you know some guy in his backyard could set up you know a series of pools that are uh blow up pools and make one of them cooler than the other or put warmer water in and you just walk from pool to pool all right you got your cryo pool buddy but i think there's some technology that it, you go hey clearly advances in golf clubs and golf equipment lead the way but do you, do you think of examples where in basketball, football, baseball, we've seen advances in equipment that just are game changers. Or is this because I kind of want to put this airheads thing in the category of there's such a thing as overdoing it?
5: It's it for me. It would go into the definition of like an arm sleeve for basketball. Like mm-hmm. that, Allen Iverson first wore that arm sleeve, and he wore it supposedly because he had hurt his arm and he wanted to like keep it warm and stuff. Okay. But then it just became an accessory, right? Like I've worn it before. Just as, you know, I did uh, you know, did some testing for Adidas back in the day. They don't do anything. They just bothered my arm. It just felt like something was on my arm. Like I don't. So know. It, didn't,
1: it didn't help you with like no. keeping your arm warm, not getting hurt. Not me.
5: Maybe I'm just on yeah. fire all the time. You know, I can't stop. it can't stop that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things like that that just don't necessarily help. But there are a lot of things that do help at, at like, the same I, time.
1: Uh, Speaking of helmets, like I I think in like football where the coach can communicate from the sideline to the quarterback using a microphone that's in the quarterback's helmet. And, you know, the quarterback can hear what the coach is saying. That's a good that's a good advancement. That's a good technology, you know, revolutionary moment. Um, I remember Mark Cuban years ago. He's talking about the fact that, you know, they were using technology to track the movement of players on the court. And I remember it was kind of people didn't really understand, and he was like, well, we're using the data and we're tracking the players. And people were like, that's ridiculous, that's not going to help. But they were actually using it to see when, you know, they had positive possessions, what kind of movement were they getting. And, and I think that can be beneficial to a coaching staff if you are live tracking a performance, certainly in track and field. We have seen advances in footwear, we've seen advances in – sort of the track and field where the sport sporting goods wear that they wear on the track. Swimming, swimmers will tell you that certain swimsuits are better. I mean, in fact, they ban some swimsuits that make the swimmers too fast in the water. And, and you know, swimmers will talk about that all the time. But there are other things that are just a little too much. Cooling helmet, come on.
5: It, it kind of goes to just all sports in general, just with like analytics and stuff like that. Is it's a blanket term now, but it's just different stats. There's some stats that matter. There's some stats that don't matter. But a lot of times we use you know stuff that doesn't matter just so we can form an argument. Like you, you know, I've said this numerous times. You can find any stat you want to prove your point, and it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever your point is, you can find a stat that that is gonna you know be in your corner and help you out. And it's just an abundance that you don't need. There are certain stats that help, and there's certain advanced stats that help, but there's a lot of them that don't matter at all. And so it's just, I think like that's just sports. Like, everyone's trying to find the next big thing. So if Airheads takes off, you know, and LSU has a really good season, they win the SEC, John, everyone's going to want it.
1: Yeah, but I think Oregon's probably sitting back going, why don't we think of that first? Why weren't we on top of that? Why didn't we get that? Um, and, and I think that's true of a lot of things, though. Too, like, I, like, I, I, I find it interesting that we were talking to that caller in the last segment about, you know, his TV, and he, everyone going to streaming, and how am I going to stream? That's a helpless feeling for somebody, and I feel for that person because as streaming becomes more mainstream, and you brought up the game that will be only on Paramount this season, it's a Pac-12 game. And I think, you know, we're probably moving towards more of that in pro sports and college sports where that's going to happen. And I think people are going to have to make tough decisions. And not only is it a technology issue for some people, it's a, it's a cost issue for some people who are subscribing to various services. I know I'm subscribing to Paramount mostly because I wanted to see Yellowstone. And, and you know, I also have Apple TV, and I have Hulu, but i got to be honest with you, the total package of all of that, Netflix, everything combined, is less than what I was paying on DirecTV. And and I'm just hoping I can find the Pac-12 network this season. That's that's what I'm after, and I used Sling last year to get to it. But I do think there's some people who don't have the comfort with that, and I would include my parents in that conversation. Like, I literally think I'm going to have to buy a ticket, an uh, airline ticket, fly down to the bay area go to my parents house set them up with hulu or whatever streaming service and spend like a day and a half two days getting them comfortable with it otherwise it doesn't stick you know and it, but, but i remember too like back in the day teaching my parents how to use the vcr after they bought it you know i don't think any of that has changed and i think generationally hell i used to go to my grandparents house they had this giant thing that was a tv it's the giant tube tv it was like a cabinet it had a giant television in it and i can't imagine like what that must have been like for some people who are who grew up like at a time where you know they were doing their homework by candlelight and going all of a sudden they've got people in their living room on a tv like you know i i just think that we're probably going to have those kinds of advances steven i don't know how comfortable will you be at 77 when your grandkids come to you and go hey here's the thing it, you know, you're watching all your sports via hologram now. Don't you know how to get it, Grandpa?
5: <laughs> yeah, it'll be a uh, that'll be a scary time. But I think there's a lot of things. Now, there's always some misses, right? There's going to be yeah. some misses all the time. But for a lot of those things that you're describing, John, like it's going to be a – I think it's a it's a win. Like you go down and you show your parents how to watch a game. Like I can show my parents how to watch a game streaming-wise and they'll be like, oh, wow, there's other shows on here. There's other things that are going to help me and, you know, entertain me. I, I think a lot of it is going to be positive with the streaming stuff that we're just going to introduce it to some people that may be just afraid of it a little bit, right? Cause change is always just so hard and scary. So I, I do think this could end up having a positive effect. Now it could totally whiff. And if the PAC 12 goes all streaming, it could be a whiff, but I really think it's going to help out in the long run, just of uh, just more access for more people. Because we talked about the Padres thing, like having blackouts, like those are the, that's the worst. Like, why would you want that? I, I have always had a problem with the blazers here in Portland. Like, I have a hard time watching the games. Like it shouldn't be that way. If I want to watch the Portland Trailblazers, I should be able to, you know, st- stream it, or I should be able to turn on a TV and just watch it. But I can't all the time. You gotta have a certain thing for it.
1: I I do miss the simplicity of linear TV, games only on the mainstream channels. But I know that where it's going and where it's been are two different places. Uh, coming up, I'm gonna turn this show into a donut. I started the show by talking about a football coach and a lawsuit and a fractured fan base. I'll end it in much the same way. But there's a method to my madness. I'm not interested in, uh, you know, us disagreeing on a bunch of topics. I'm not interested in fabricating fake arguments on this show. Uh, I'm mostly interested in, like, you know, I'm interested in the sociology of sports. So I'll dive into that next. If you want to know what I'm talking about, stick around. I won't disappoint I'm going to finish today's show the same way that I started today's show. I'm going to finish by talking about the ways in which we are different. I do not expect you to agree with everything that I say on this show. I, in fact, I, I, I think I said that yesterday. If you agree with everything that I say on this show, I would have your head examined. We don't need to agree. We don't need to have the same viewpoints on uh, a lot of different things, including back in 2020 and 2021, who should get the vaccine, who shouldn't get the vaccine, who should be wearing a mask and under what circumstances. And I just think sometimes um, we need to accept that we're going to disagree, hear each other out, and accept that there are a lot of different viewpoints and reasons and rationales that go into each of us making decisions. It's part of the beauty of living in a country like America. Uh, That said, I wrote a column today about Nick Rolovich and the Washington State fan base. And I think one of the most disappointing byproducts of the lawsuit that Nick Rolovich has filed against Washington State, uh, the governor of the state of Washington, Jay Inslee, Patrick Chung, the athletic director at Washington State. Uh, we we got some resolution yesterday, or at least the case got some resolution as a district judge, a federal judge, uh, threw out a couple of the elements of the Rolovich lawsuit. Rolovich's attorney coming forth today saying, hey, this is a big victory, for uh, Nick Rolovich and the lawsuit, but uh, I digress. Uh, For the rest of us, I think it's an opportunity to look at what sports can do and what it has done for generations in our country. Like, if you think about it, we always arrived to the stadiums and the conversations about sports with baggage. All of us did. But normally we packed it away in the trunk and we closed the trunk and then we ventured into the stadium and you sat alongside people who had – different viewpoints came from different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds uh, you know may have been raised uh, in, in in different religions and you may have uh, been exposed to different experiences but the commonality that we have in sports is that we come together, we escape from all that other stuff and we root as sports fans uh, together often. And, and I find that a lot of fan bases, Sports becomes glue and culture and society and a lot of fan bases you could go seat to seat inside the stadium and you'd find a lot of disagreement over a lot of topics, some of them trivial, some of them that don't feel so trivial. But I think the byproduct that we are seeing in the Nick Rolovich-Washington State case is really interesting. And I think to understand Pullman-Washington, to really understand what is going on with Nick Rolovich and the Washington State fan base, it is a fan base that remains divided. It is splintered. It was Splinter 2020 when the pandemic hit, and the head football coach at Washington State, who was ordered like other employees in the state of Washington to to uh, get the vaccine or risk losing his job, he chose to dig in. And you know whether you agree with that, disagree with that, why you disagree and agree, that's fine. But I think the byproduct that I keep thinking about is the splintered and divided fan base. A lot of things were said. A lot of unpleasant things were said between fans. It's caused a riff. And I think in particular, when you look at Pullman, a small community that's not Los Angeles, it's not Phoenix, it's not the Bay Area, um, it's not even Seattle. Uh, When you look at Pullman, community there you have was a very tight-knit community. And like a lot of communities in America, you had some division inside those communities and some disagreement over where and what should be done to prevent the spread of COVID-19 back in the day, right? Uh, any of that. I'm not here to arbitrate that, but I am here to point out that I'm looking at like capacity just over 32,000. And I'm looking at the Cougar Collective, a group of Washington State fans who really need, know that they need to band closely together to get anywhere. Like they're at an inherent disadvantage at Washington State, uh, like some of the other smaller market uh, schools in the Pac 12 Conference, Oregon State, another example. Uh, you know, you're at an, a little bit of a disadvantage in that, you know, you're not drawing from the numbers that Arizona State has, or the numbers uh, that you see at the University of Washington, or the fan base at USC in the Los Angeles market when it comes to name-image likeness and raising money to help attract and, and uh, retain your talent. And so you need all hands on deck in a place like Pullman, Washington. And I think it's a really interesting study to see what has happened with that fan base. There remains a division that, you know, I talked to numerous boosters a couple of which who went on the record and said to me that you know the fan base is divided rolovich divided the fan base and you know it's interesting that 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 people from different viewpoints on the vaccine like one camp that would say he absolutely should have taken the vaccine he deserves to be vilified for not taking the vaccine he deserved to be fired um those fans agree with the fans who say hey um Nick Rolovich uh, has a right to his own autonomy and his own personal decision, and no government should force him to take a vaccine. You know what they all, what both sides agree on? Because they don't agree on the facts of the matter. But they agree that they are divided. They are splintered. That things have been said are going to be difficult to come back from. And I find that interesting, you know, especially doing a sports show where we talk all the time about how sports glues us together and brings us together and it's supposed to be an escape and you know, sports uh, in a lot of ways has become a battleground. Just ask the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are dealing with their own issues right now. But I think the difference is when there's a problem in L.A., I don't think it's uh, it hits the same as a problem in a place like Pullman, Washington. And I think just the sheer numbers of people in L.A. and the comfort that people have in disagreeing, being okay disagreeing, or even be okay uh, being angry disagreeing, it's not the same as a t- community like the community that we have and we see in Pullman. So, you know, as Pat Chun, the AD at Washington State, gets dismissed from the Rolovich lawsuit, and as Governor Jay Inslee got dismissed from the lawsuit yesterday as well, um, I couldn't help but think that fans deserve to be dismissed from this lawsuit and this debate. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. The comment section, as you would expect, turned into a lot of disagreeing and arguing over the point that is central to the lawsuit, But the point I'm trying to make is that when you look into a stadium of 32,000 plus people, you're going to get different viewpoints. You're going to get different races, religions, socioeconomic backgrounds, experiences. You're going to have differences in parenting style. You're going to have differences on, you know, what people think a balanced diet is and what proper exercise is. You're going to have a lot of disagreement. And I find it uh, sad as we look at the Nick Rolovich case to sort of absorb the idea that a football coach is supposed to bring everybody together, community together. There's no greater pillar in a college community than the football program, but the football coach himself in this lawsuit has, threatens to divide that community and continues to divide that community. I think Washington State can come back from this. What will it take? Time and more time and more time. We're told that time heals. I also think some healthy discussions like the one we're having right here and now and the one that I wrote about today and people are having in the comment section of my column are important to have. I also think winning would help, too. Jake Dickert went seven and six last year. A lot of people view Jake Dickert as, you know, the guy that can help lead Washington State back from the division and the fracture and the splintered fan base that currently finds itself immersed in, you know, an ongoing debate. I think the, the lawsuit needs to be put behind Washington State and Nick Rolovich. I think yesterday was a step in the right direction on that front. I think uh, it would have been better for everybody had there just been a settlement and not this not moving and inching towards a uh, few points that are still left to be litigated that uh, look like they'll probably end up in a court and people will be deposed and all that nonsense will happen. And I think it will, uh, you know, drum this all back up again. Um, yes, sports is supposed to be glue. But part of that requires all of us to look to our right when we're in a stadium and look to our left when we're in a stadium and look around us and be okay with the idea that we're not always going to agree. You don't have to convince the person on your left or right to think the way that you do. You don't have to convince everybody else in the stadium to see things the way you see them or lest you be angry or mad or louder than them. No, I think you can still sit in a stadium or an arena, and you can be unified, and you can, uh, you know, have sports serve as that glue, but only if you allow it. And I think a community like Washington State—it's really sad to me to kind of watch what has happened there, and and just to see the fan base, you know, divided yesterday, divided today, as they discuss the Rolovich issue, because I think the fundamental issue at the center of all of that is far simpler to me. We used to take all of our baggage and our differences and we would stick them in the trunk at the stadium. We'd close it and we'd walk in together. We stopped doing that at some point. We need to get back. I appreciate everybody who listens to the show, makes it part of their day. Um, You know, look, you don't need to agree with me on everything. I'm sure we could find some common ground if we talked long enough. I also think if we talk long enough, we're going to find some things we disagree on. But, uh, you know, I'm here. You're here. Let's try to be here together. All right. The Bald faced Truth not here for a long time. Just a good time. Grab a podcast. We're back tomorrow with another great show. Sally Jenkins, Washington Post columnist and author on the program tomorrow.